following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is a joy to be with you all once again. I know I say it every single time, but it is a joy. It is a joy. It's especially a joy for me right here, right now. You all know out there that I'm a big fan of WCW. You all know out there that I've seen every single episode of WCW Saturday Night, WCW Worldwide, main event, Power Hour, Prime, all of those little shows, as well as Nitro and Thunder. And so it's, it's, I've got this plethora of knowledge of, of all these different guys. And, and I'm always hopeful that I, can, that I can track these guys down. And I managed to track someone down that I didn't think I would be able to. And I'm so proud. I'm so pumped to introduce my guest at this time. He is the one and only, the incomparable Roadblock. How are you, my friend? I'm fine, brother. How about yourself? I'm doing great, my friend. It's uh, really Good. great to connect with you here today. Uh, I, I just, I'm really just excited to, to learn about your time in professional wrestling and what else you've been up to since then. And I guess the first question on the show I always ask is, before you got into the business, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? Well, when I was a little kid, a buddy of mine, God bless his soul, just passed away during the COVID here. Uh, we would be in his basement and we would set up like a little wrestling ring and we would, you know, uh, act out wrestling, uh, different wrestlers like Chief White or Chief Thunder Mountain or Chief White Owl. I don't know if you remember Chief White Owl back in the day, um, you know, uh, Dominic Danucci, you know, all them guys back in the day and, um, you know, after that, you know, we watch it every weekend and then I ended up going to school and I ended up, uh, you know, wrestling in junior high school, high school, college. And, uh, you know, I just loved wrestling. You know what I mean? And um, but that's that's how I got started in, into watching wrestling. You know what I mean? When we were, I was a little kid and a buddy of mine, we just watched it and we loved it. You know what I mean? That's cool. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess, you know, you're a kid when you become a fan. At what age do you, you know, get to where you start to grow and you start to get taller and taller? Um, you know, how, how was that for you in, in, in high school and all that becoming the big kid? Well, actually, brother, I was born 10 pounds, 11 ounces, like 23 inches. So my mother said I looked like I was a one year old in the infantry, you know, in the, in, you know, where the babies were. And um, I was always big my whole life. You know, I was pretty much skinny, but I was always big, you know. And um, I've never wrestled anything other than unlimited and heavyweight from junior high school, high school, college. So I don't even know what it is to uh, lose weight to, to wrestle. You know, where these other guys, you know, they got to suck five pounds, six pounds, a pound, you know. But I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. <laughs> that is, yeah, no, that's it's it's incredible. I think you're the tallest person I've had on the show. Is it correct that you're six foot ten? Six foot seven. Six foot seven. Okay. Sometimes the internet 
can uh, well, change things they, around a little bit. They they might want to put the boot, you know, because the boots, you know, the 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 heels of the boots maybe two three inches. So, uh, you know, but yeah, six seven, legitimately six seven. Right. Okay. Still, that's that's very very tall. That's taller than Michael Jordan. So that is very tall. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So uh, you you do uh, the the actual legitimate um, freestyle. Is it freestyle wrestling that you did in school? Collegiate. 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 Freestyle was more like uh, Olympic style. You know, Greco Roman okay. in there. Right. Um, my knowledge on it isn't very big. Australia isn't very well known for its... Uh, we, we, it's not even a, a sport that you can do uh, at school, in high school. Wrestling is not a thing over here, um, at least where I'm from anyway. But um, So my knowledge isn't very big on it, but I guess um, you, you're doing this style of wrestling as well. Is, are you still a fan as you, you, you're growing up, or do you kind of fall away from it a little bit here and there? Well, to be honest with you, when I when I got into college, because I wrestled in college, the local community college here, I um, got far away from it, far, far away from it. I didn't even get into it at all. Um, I didn't watch it at all. And um, I ended up starting to watch it, I'm going to say probably when I got to be probably around my mid-20s. You know what I mean? When it started becoming real popular when uh, when when WrestleMania first started, you know what I mean? WrestleMania won in that. That's when I started to get into it a little bit because, you know, a lot of people started getting into it. We'd have uh, little uh, WrestleMania parties. OK, come on, let's get over together, get together, watch the pay-per-view. Other than that, I, you know, I didn't, you know, get into it until I got older, which probably made a, you know, uh, impact on my wrestling, professional wrestling career, as far as, you know, everything. Right. I see. Um, now there was a story I read somewhere and, and, uh, my friend, Adam, uh, he's from the U S big wrestling fan. I told him that I had made contact with you and he got very excited. And he told me a story that he heard about, there was a story of you jumping a guardrail as a fan during a Hulk Hogan one-man gang match, and you kind of interfered in the match or something like that. You you, you wanted to prove yourself that, you, and, and this is your way of uh, proving yourself to get your shot, get a chance to be a part of the business. Is this true? It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Because, like I said, I mean, as I got older, I was like 27 and that, and I said, you know what, I'd like to give the wrestling a shot. Well, let me back up a little bit here. Because okay. when I was in college, when I was in college wrestling, you know, I, I wrestled and I took it really serious. I mean, that was, you know, I loved it. I lived for to the wrestling because that was just, you know, something that I loved doing. And while I was in college, I had a successful wrestling career. I mean, I'm in the Hall of Fame college, uh, NCAA Region 3. I'm in the Hall of Fame there for wrestling. I'm in the high school Hall of Fame for a regional uh, section and the wrestle and the wrestle, not the wrestling coach, but the director of the phys ed department came up to me when I was wrestling in college. And he said, Hey, Joe, he says, would you like to get into professional wrestling? I got a connection for you. I know somebody I could help you. And being a college and high school and collegiate wrestling and knowing that wrestling was more entertainment than the actual wrestling I felt, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. And look, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I let it go. 
And then, like I said, years later, I said, you know what, man, there's a lot of opportunities here, you know, and um, I really didn't have a nine to five job. You know, I'm trying to do something a little different or whatever, you know, and I said to myself, uh, let me give this a shot, you know. So I wrote letters to the WWF. I wrote letters to WCW, NWA, and I sent them my resume, everything. And I just got totally ignored. I called. They I kept getting hung up on. And I said, man, I got to do something here. So I went to the local gym the day that Hulk Hogan and uh, actually uh, Brutus Beefcake work out at. And I went there and I went to talk to uh, Brutus Beefcake because I said, ah, I don't know about talking to Hogan. He might be, you know. So I, I went to Brutus and Brutus basically blew me off. You know, he said, brother, I don't know anything. I can't help you. Uh, I'm working out. I said, OK, no problem. And then I went to Hulk and I said, yo, Hulk, can you help me out? And he said, brother, no one helped me get into business. I did this all on my own. OK, so he brewed me, too. So I said to myself, well. I got to do what I planned on doing was to jump in the ring. That way I'll get some attention. I'll get something. You know what I mean? And so what happened was I went there by myself. I sat there in the stands and I'm saying to myself, I'm going to jump in the ring, but who do I jump in the ring against? I can't jump in the ring against the smallest guy because I look like a fool being my size. I said, I don't want to jump in the ring against Hulk Hogan because people will probably start throwing tomatoes at me and I'll get booed out of the arena. Cause you know how Hogan was over over Hogan was over like, you know? So I said, I got to get a big guy. And I said, Oh my goodness. The one man gang. Now this guy here, brother, he's six foot 10. He weighed probably a good close to 500 pounds. He was huge. And I said to myself, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. And I realized that it was him against Hogan that night for the main event. And it was a TV taping. And I seen him walking out into the ring and it was just funny that he said like this with his hands, come on, with both of his hands, come on, somebody wants some of this, come on. And brother, my adrenaline started pumping so hard and so fast. I, I jumped up and I ran down, got to the ring. I jumped under the barricades and here we are face to face. <laughs> now we get into the ring. I get into the ring. You know, I'm standing face to face with him. He's like, I don't know, probably about this much taller than me. You know what I mean? He, he's big man. Not that I'm a little guy, but, you know, and so I didn't know what I was going to do because I felt that if I pre planned anything and didn't go the way I want, now I'm back to plan A. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. So I said, let me go with the flow and let me go amateur on him. You see what I mean? Because I wrestled yeah. amateur my whole life. So, brother, I went to go and do actually kind of like a wrestling move. I went to go do a pick him up, you know, double leg. And, brother, he just wasn't going anywhere. He's like concrete. So I did a Navy on him where you slide your one leg behind him and your other arm is slipping in between his crotch and you just drive. And I drove. I put him down onto the mat and my... Stupid ass, excuse my French. I jumped on him and I'm, I'm pinning him. I'm, whole, I'm laying on him, like pinning him. And I'm looking for the referees to count. And the referees yelling, security, security. And um, Slick, I don't know, you remember Slick? Yeah. He was, he was the manager, real cool dude, real cool dude. Black hair, waved, always in a suit, real clean. He came over, brother, he started beating me. I mean, beating me with his cane on my back. 
at that time, you know, when your adrenaline's flowing so high, man, you don't know anything or feel anything. You're just pumped. <laughs> so I'm still waiting for somebody to count. And all of a sudden, he grabbed my hair because I had a ponytail back then. He grabbed my hair and you, you got to go where your hair goes, brother. So he yeah. grabbed my hair and I got up. And now him and I are face to face. And it's not like I'm in there to terrorize everybody or anybody. I just wanted to, you know, get seen and known. So I walk slick to the corner and I just mush him in the face. You know what I mean? Just get away from me. And when I did that, I backed up and I turned around and guess what? There is the one man gang standing, looking at me. I said, holy moly, what am I going to do now? So I start backing up, trying to get my thoughts together. And what, what happens is my back's to the ropes. Now, he's about three feet to me. And I'm saying, oh, my God, I'm going to have to really figure something out. What happened was the security guards finally got there and they grabbed my ankles from under the rope and they pulled them. And I went face first. One man gang, he fell right on me. I don't know if he did that on purpose or what. He did a splash on my back. Boom. Talk about a heavy load. And then they pulled me out and they took me to uh, the back where the other wrestlers were. And um, I'm trying to think who it was. I think it was Rene Goulet at the time. He was a road agent. He said, brother, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? I said, I want to get into business. I said, I got my uh, resume and my sock. You know, because I brought a resume with my in my sock and a, and a rosary, brother, and a rosary. So the Lord would bless me, you know, so I didn't get hurt. And um, I'm sitting in the chair, and he goes, brother, that's not going to do anything for you. And then Billy Jack Haynes, I don't know if you ever heard of Billy Jack Haynes. Yeah. Billy Jack Haynes, he's a shooter. You know what I'm talking about, right? He came up to me, and he wanted to take me downstairs thinking he was going to, you know, do something to me. I said, brother, just let's go. Take, you know, take, let's go. I got no problem with that. And Rene Goulet came over. He said, no, 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 no. Go about your business, uh, Billy. Go about your business. And because um, he really wanted to shoot on me. He thought he was going to just kick my backside. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just so ready for whatever was to come. And they uh, took me to the jail and they just, you know, let me out on my own recognizance and, I got like a uh, charge with uh, disorderly conduct, two charges, one from the arena and one from WWF. And it, it was WWF at the time, but and that's how that whole story happened. And then a, a guy a couple of days later called me up because I was on the news. I was on the radio. It was in the paper. So, you know, and that's where, you know, I finally started to get into the business. He directed me in, the, in um, oops. Are you still there? There we go. Yeah. And uh, he directed me to um, Larry Sharp, the Monster Factory in New Jersey. And that's where it all, you know, started basically, you know, actually getting into the business. <laughs> I think that we've, we're nearing 100 episodes here, Roadblock, and that might be now my favorite story that I've heard. What a whirlwind. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I am so happy that that was a true story. You never know sometimes with the internet, but oh, yeah. that is an amazing story. Oh, um, yeah. No, okay. I, I, I'll tell you something. Being in the, being, <clears throat> being that I was in the business and I wrestled here and I wrestled there, you know, um, I've seen guys jump in the ring, but they got pummeled. I mean, the wrestler would not give them a chance. They were on them like, you know, white on rice, if you know what I mean. I mean, they gave them no kind of an opportunity to do anything. 
And, and you know, that that's really what it's like. I mean, you know, because you don't know the next person that gets jumps in that ring, what they could possibly do to you. You know, I mean, I'd have, I'd have hate to bend. I'm going to tell you another story, brother. I'd hate to bend the one man gang and somebody jumping on the ring. I'm like that. on me. you know what I mean? I would have hated to do that. I would have hated that to happen. And um, it has come close a couple times, but it, it never really actually happened. I'll tell you something. When I, um, when I finally got into business and I was just getting ready to leave the monster factory, I, I uh, had an opportunity to go wrestle for uh, WWF. And it was a dark show. No, 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 no. It was further down the line from there. I ended up coming home. I was living in Japan. And I was the only gaijin there that had a contract with the the, the Japanese wrestling company. It was called uh, SWS. And yeah. WWF was the only gaijin company that came over there to wrestle with them. Okay. So it was just myself and the WWF. So they came over to Japan and that's why I uh, met Macho Man and all them guys, you know, and I was there and Macho said, well, you'll never, you know, you're, you're good. You're, you, you should, as soon as you get back in the States, let me know. I'll help you out. I said, oh, okay. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate it, brother. I just don't think Vince is ever going to let me work for him knowing that I jumped in the ring on him. But anyways, Years later, <clears throat> I went to a show and I went in there and here comes, uh, who was it? I'm trying to think. Somebody, in, oh, Slick. Slick noticed me and he came <laughs> up to me, go, whoa, whoa. He's going back and forth. Whoa, brother, whoa. No, 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 no. You, uh, you, you the mother effer. He said the word, you know, you're the mother effort that jumped in the ring on my boy. On the one man. I said, uh, yeah, you know, I was just trying to get into business, business, brother. That's all. It wasn't nothing personal. I was just trying to get into business. So he went and got one man gang and he went and got um, trailer. I don't know. You know, uh, right. Trailer. Uh, they became part who? Right. Trailer. Uh, Ray trailer. Yes. Uh, one, I can't even remember. His, uh, they, they, they were partners. Remember, they became partners. Yeah, I think the Twin Towers. I think they were called, or the. Um, I can't remember Ar what they were called. Uh, Arkane and uh, the Big Boss Man. Um, right. Yeah. Yes. I know. I know. But anyways, yeah, he came. They both came up to me and said, "Yo, welcome to the business." At least next time we know who we're you know we're coming up against. And I said, "Thank <laughs> you, brother. I appreciate it. It wasn't nothing personal." And that you know that's how I met them. Actually, you know what I mean which was really cool, you know? Uh, that is super cool that it came full circle and you got to meet them again. <laughs> yes, full circle, you're right, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, training with Larry Sharp at the Monster Factory, um, how was that experience there? We've we've had a few people on the show that have gone through there. It's a legendary uh, uh, training facility. Um, please tell me a little bit about it. Well... Man, brother, this is this 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 is this is really a, a, a tough one to talk about because, I mean, I like Larry Sharp and everything, 
And when I went to Larry Sharp's Monster Factory, it was at the time when Vince McMahon was trying to deregulate the wrestling and make it just an entertainment business, not a, a sport, because he wanted to be able to eliminate the athletic commissions yeah. and save all the millions of dollars from having to pay the athletic commission. So while I was at Larry Sharp's uh, Monster Factory, it was the most well-known wrestling school in the country. And I ended up being in the right place at the right time for that situation because I ended up doing an article in uh, Rolling Stone magazine. I did an article in um, Playboy magazine. I did an article in People magazine. And that was all a blessing and, and great. And Larry Sharp was a good dude. But as far as training, I really didn't get trained. Right. You know, I mean, I, I, God bless Larry Soul, good man. You know, he's no longer here, but he didn't have any trainers. And he would get in the ring for five minutes and maybe show you a, a, a lockup. Or maybe he'll, you know, show you how to hit the ropes. But other than that, he did not show me anything. And, you know, he wanted me to stay there. Maybe one of the reasons why he wasn't training me because I was there for three, four months. You know what I mean? And in them three, four months, brother, I was sleeping in the ring. I was sleeping, uh, you know, I rented a room. And it's like, you know, how long am I going to want to keep doing this before I get on the road? You know, I want I want to learn. You know, I didn't come here to sleep in the ring and not learn nothing. As long as, you know, if I'm sleeping in the ring and I'm learning, okay, that's cool. At least I'm making progress. But it got to the point to where I was there, to the point to where I said, hey, Larry, man, I got to make a move here. And it seemed like he took that personal, like he wanted me to stay there because I was one of the only big guys he had there that was new. And I was able to show other people that are coming there. Oh, Hey, I got a big guy here that's training now. So, you know, he wants to just keep drawing business. If you know what I mean, even though behind the closed door, he wasn't really doing any training. The only people that would do any training were the guys that wrestled in his, cause he had like a little uh, independent show himself. And that's how he would um, fulfill his contract with the new wrestlers. Cause you know, he'd train you and then you wrestle one match at his wrestling independent show. And now you're on, you know, you're on your own, but you know, being in New Jersey, Larry would have a monthly wrestling show. So all the guys that went to his school, if they were still in the area, they would wrestle. And they would come to the school and they would train and wrestle. See what I mean? And then yeah. were basically the guys that showed me what I knew, you know, the pit bulls, um, you know, the, uh, there was a guy named Chief Thunder Mountain, Haas, you know, we all wrestled together for WCCW down the line. But, um, you know, nobody, you know, Larry never trained me, if you understand what I mean. And, you know, I told him, I said, Larry, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to Puerto Rico. And he got, he got, he kind of got a little upset with me, but I said, Larry, I mean, what do you want me to do? Just stay here sleeping in your ring for the rest of my you know life. I mean, so, you know, that's how I basically left. And, you know, we stayed on good terms. We talked and this and that, because he brought me back a couple of times to, uh, to wrestle his independent shows. But as far as, you know, his wrestling school for me, I really didn't learn much. You know, I felt like, you know, I got the publicity and all this and that, but as far as actually what I went there to do to learn to wrestle, I really, I really didn't. 
you know? In fact, right. what I ended up doing was I ended up going to Puerto Rico and then I ended up going uh, to their office and I ended up working out in their, their ring, working out with one of their wrestlers, learning more. And then when I went to Japan, I went to their dojo and I worked out with them, you know, but, you know, was, I learned more from them there two places that I was getting paid to wrestle than I did when I went and paid Larry the money I paid him. Nothing, you right. know, nothing against Larry, God bless his soul, but that's just the way it was. All right, fair enough. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I had no idea that it, it was like that at the time. Uh, <laughs> it must have been difficult, right. um, you know, because uh, I've noticed in my research, you know, uh, competing in New England and the East Coast independent promotions, you know, uh, during the you know the late '80s, there uh, obviously most notably in uh, international world class championship wrestling as the Rochester Roadblock. Um, how you know when you when you start to get out there and perform uh, in in these companies, uh, how difficult is it with such a lack of training going in there to? do what it is that you've got to do in the ring. You, you try and you try and keep it to the basics. You know what I mean? And you try and um, do the big man stuff like, you know, uh, clotheslines, uh, body slams, you know, um, you know, basic stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Because, I mean, like I said, I wrestled junior high school, high school, college. I mean, I knew how to do a lot of different wrestling moves, but, you know, being my size, doing them kind of things, you know, wasn't the ordinary thing to do. And that would take away from my size, if you understand what I mean. But, you know, uh, it, it was a challenge at times. And I think that, 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 that made an impact on my longevity as far as, you know, um, my success in the business, you know what I mean? Because I was never, I never was a, um, you know, a main eventer or anything as far as with the major companies here, WCW or, you know, WWF, but, you know, I mean, you know, that, that made a difference. I think, I think also me jumping in the ring gave a lot of guys a, a sour taste too. You know what I mean? The business, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I, uh, I, I, I kind of disrespected the business, I guess you could say in a way, you know right. what I mean? which I understand. And that, but um, do I regret that I did that? Not at all, because I feel that that was the only way I was able to get into the business because, you exactly. know, I was shunned so much, you know? Exactly. You, you, you tried to go the route that you, you felt was the smart way of going, asking for someone for help or, and they were giving you nothing. So you had to do what you had to do as far as I'm concerned. Um, you hear a lot of stories about someone just getting discovered in a gym you know, Barry Windham yeah. going up to uh, Scott Hall and saying, you know, what, you know, do you want to get in the business, bro? Come, come meet me and so-and-so this weekend. Have we got a ring? Then how helpful is that? <laughs> and then prime example, prime example, brother, a prime example. This is the cream of the crop right here. That'll explain that Bill Goldberg, brother, Bill Goldberg never paid a, a do in his life in the wrestling brother, Bill Goldberg never drove from Rochester, New York to Buffalo, New York to pay a due, which is only 60 miles. If you understand what I'm saying, Bill Goldberg trained to be a wrestler 
And right from outside the gate, from the wrestling school, he went to the top. Never yeah. paid a due in his life. And don't get me wrong about Bill Goldberg. Coolest dude I met in the business. Maybe he was humble because he was just seeing and realized what his potential was and what was coming his way. So maybe that's the reason why he was humble and a nice guy to me because I was his third match. I was his third match out of all his professional matches. My good brother, Hugh Morris was his very first match. And then the second match was uh, the barbarian. And then I was his third match and our third match, the match that him and I were having Brother, he was greener than the grass to the point to where he didn't know anything. And, you know, just like Hugh Morris and just like Barbarian, myself, walked him right through that match. I, I walked him through that match. I, you know what I mean? My, my yeah. job, my job, brother, was to get him over. You know, I have no problem doing my job. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a team player. You know what I mean? Did it, did it help me out? I don't know, but I'm blessed that I was able to do what I did and have been where I've been, you know, not that I've been somewhere, some guys, but Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm there to do what I got to do. You know what I mean? But absolutely, you know, like, like I'm saying, I mean, you know, Bill Goldberg never paid a due in his life and he's the most blessed wrestler that ever strapped up a pair of boots and look at where he is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, I, I pay brother. I paid dues. Listen to this, Cal. I drove from Rochester, New York to Prescott, Maine, which is a 20 hour ride, brother, in the middle of a winter. You don't get winter there, do you? You get winter there? Oh, yeah, we get winter. Yeah. You get snow? Uh, not snow, just rain. <laughs> okay. We got, we, brother, we had like two foot of snow. <laughs> it was the middle of the winter. I drove, and the further north you go up, because Prescott is, or Maine is north of New York. Right. And Prescott is just almost right to Canada. Brother, it was a snowstorm. 20-hour ride, brother, from here. $50. $50. Brother, uh, it cost me more to eat. Gas, tolls. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I felt, you know, this is a part of me having to pay my dues and this and that. And, you know, it is what it is. I'm blessed regardless. You know, I mean, I'm... I, you know, if I was to do it over again, I would, but I, I would do some things different. It wouldn't, and I'm not saying that I want to jump in the ring again, but from that point on, I think I would have, I would have did some things different. You know what I mean? Whether it would have got me over more or not, or, you know, that's, you know, can't cry about that now, but I'm blessed, man. I understand. And I'm happy to hear that. Um, I wanted to bring up Puerto Rico because uh, I noticed in my research, the 10th of June, 1990, you worked for Capital Sports at the Juan uh, Lubriel uh, Stadium in Bayamon, Puerto Rico, uh, in a loss to Carlos Colon for the Universal Heavyweight title. Um, how was your experience there in Puerto Rico? How did you find working for and against Carlos? Brother, let me tell you something. Puerto Rico is different than any place that I've ever wrestled in the sense that Puerto Rico does not have ringside seats. They have a barricade way around the ring. Right. And most of the, and uh, most of the 
arenas are ba basketball arenas and they have a 20 foot fence around the ring. So nobody can get to the, to the ring. Brother, let me tell you something, Puerto Rico. I loved it. I loved it, but it was the most dangerous place to wrestle because I would walk to the ring and on my way to the ring to get inside that there, um, to the, to the ring, to the, you know, the fence and that I had a 14 year old kid run up to me with a shank. <laughs> he wanted to try and stab me. Luckily I was, I, I, I had my roadblock and I seen him out of the corner of my eyes and I went to act like I was going to hit him with the roadblock and he backed off security brother. There's only two security guards there and there's two, 3000 people. I mean, brother, they, they, they sell, they sell, uh, spark plugs and, and little rocks outside the La Cancha, the arena. They throw them at you. They pee in a cup. They throw it uh, at you. They do blow darts. I mean, brother, it, 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 it was a challenge, man. But the adrenaline rush to be there in Russell was like no other. I loved it. I really did. A lot of guys won't go back there because of the, that situation and because of the Bruiser Brody deal. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I, I loved it. And actually, that was the first place that they were huge on bleeding. Huge on bleeding. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I, tonight, you got a color. <laughs> They're telling me I got a color tonight. I say, color? Oh, man, I don't, I don't color. No, you got a color. And I, <laughs> I, had to, I had to do what I had to do. Again, I'm a team player. And, you know, I did what I had to do. That was the first time I ever... Had the color, <laughs> but um, Carlos Cologne, he was, you know, again, I was, you know, I was green because I was just coming out of the wrestling school, going to uh, Puerto Rico. I wish I would have been a little bit more experienced and a little more knowledge because I know I could have had a real good run with Carlos, but, you know, it was a learning experience. And, you know, we went, we, we wrestled in uh, Salina, that's uh, Carlos Colon's hometown. Brother, it's so bad there because he's over like a four-leaf clover like Hulk Hogan in Puerto <laughs> Rico. That as you walk to the, as we were leaving the uh, the arena, walking to the to the van, because they pick us up at the hotel to take us to the van, drive through the, you know, Puerto Rico. I was getting pelted with rocks in the back of the head. We finally got into the uh, the van and brother, they all started shaking the van like they were trying to turn it over, you know, tip it over. I mean, they were just rocking the van, man, because, you know, we were all the heels. You know, we were, the, you know, the guys from the States or wherever. We weren't from Puerto Rico. And we all driving the van together, you know, every night that we had to wrestle. And I mean, Puerto Rico, I could tell you stories and stories of Puerto Rico is just I love Puerto Rico, even though I wrestled in Japan and Mexico. I love Japan the most. Mexico was nice, but man, Puerto Rico was the worst, but I loved it more than all of them. I loved it. <laughs> you know? Well, what is something that you, you loved most about Puerto Rico? The hydrology, the uh, hydrology, the, the rush, you know what I mean? Adrenaline yeah. rush. Yeah. It was a constant rush. You know what I mean? It was like a natural high, brother. You know what I mean? Every night was something different. You know, um, I'm trying to think. 
what his name was, Buddy Landau. Have you ever heard of Buddy Landau? Yeah. Buddy Landau. We were leaving an arena, going back home. Buddy Landau told the driver, pull over. We're on the expressway. We're on the expressway. Buddy Landau says, pull the, pull the van over. I got to take a piss. I said, buddy, who are you, crazy, brother? You, know, you got to wait till we get to the bathroom. There's nothing but road here. Brother, don't tell me. I've been here many times. Brother, we're going to get in trouble. I'm telling you, you're going to cause a situation. Brother, don't tell me. I've been all around the world. I've been here many. Okay. So the guy pulled over on the side of the road on the expressway. He takes a leak. He gets in the van. We drive past the one toll booth. And I'm in the back seat. I see there's a police car following us. We drive past another uh, toll booth. Here's another police car. And now all of a sudden we're driving and the police cars pull us over with the alarm, you know, with their sirens. The police get out of their car, brother, with their shotguns jacked and pointing at the van. And they walk to the van and they say, yo, now here goes Buddy Landell again. Yo, anybody speaks Espanol? And uh, Buddy Landell says, no, senor, no Espanol, no, senor. Dummy, you're speaking Spanish now. <laughs> and so we said, no, we don't, we don't speak Spanish. He, you know, he wants to learn Spanish. So anyways, the, the, the state trooper said, what are you guys doing here? Because he spoke broken English. And Buddy Landau said, uh, Lucha Libre. Again, he's speaking Spanish. Lucha Libre, uh, Carlos Colon. Oh, Carlitos Colon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, no problem. They put their guns down. They said, hey, this is a family expressway here. You got kids. You got women. You, you can't just pull over here and do what you did. You got to wait, you know, get to a bus stop or something. You know, you just can't do it. So we ended up believing, oh, buddy, you've been all around the world, huh? You know it all, huh? <laughs> you know, you, you want to say nothing, uh, you know, hell with you, roadblock. But, you know, I mean, that was one. And then there was another one where when I first got there, I was a baby face. And I tagged up with this dude. He was like a legitimate seven-footer. I can't remember his name right on hand. I can't remember his name. He never wrestled for WCW, WWF. He always did the independence in Puerto Rico. I can't remember his name. But anyways, we were tag team partners and somebody that was supposed to come in as a heel never made it. So they said, well, we're going to have to turn somebody heel. And who do they turn heel? Me. <laughs> That's okay. No problem. So I turned heel and I turned on the, the big guy in the middle of a match. We had like a, a tag team match going. And I turned on, on my partner, brother, I caused a riot in the arena. I caused a riot because up in the stands, up, up top, people were fighting. And then um, they were calling me all kinds of names because that's one thing you don't do. You don't change up and turn on somebody. You know what I mean? You're supposed to be their partner, the partner. And they took, I mean, brother, let me tell you something. You go to Puerto Rico and say wrestling is fake. You got a problem on your hands, man. They take that like to heart. I mean, it's no joke there. They, they don't even consider it entertainment. They take that. I mean, like it's some serious stuff. But anyways, I got out of the ring and I'm flipping them off like this. You know, I want to get my heat. And then I turn around, brother, you know, what a 30 pound barrels, you know, like the metal barrels, 30 pound metal barrels were, yeah. you know, I turned around and one was flying at me. 
Luckily, I'd seen it. God bless me, man, because I ducked and I, I got out of there. I went and sat in the locker room. Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. People are outside. I go to walk outside and they're waiting for me. Just me. I had to wait for the state troopers this time to come there and get me out of there to get me to my van so I could leave. Because they wanted to, they wanted to literally kill me, you know. <laughs> and then there was one more. I'll tell you. I mean, I could go on and on with this, but there's one more. I was there. We were doing a TV taping on a Tuesday night, and this one kid. He was my manager, and he was uh, a heel manager, and he was trying to get his heat. And the lady, or, or I told him, brother. Be careful, man, because they throw everything, man. They'll throw everything, and they're good. They're good shooters. I'm telling you, man, like they must have some kind of training camp there where they shoot shit at you, you know, because they're good. They'll hit you. So anyways, the, the, the referee or my uh, manager, he's um, getting them all pissed off, doing this, well, uh, you know, saying things in Spanish, you know, bite me, a cucaracha, a cucaracha, you know, like a cockroach for Puerto Ricans. And I said, brother, be careful, man. They're going to throw things at you. And he said, okay, brother, I'm okay. I'll be okay. And as he turned around, brother, as he turned around, an old lady, an old lady, she had a nice cube. She threw it, hit him in the eyeball, in the eyeball. And he was done. He was all done. His eye filled up with blood. He had to go to the emergency. He was done for about a week. I said, brother, I told you, man, they do not play around here, man. But I mean, I, I see what I mean as far as the adrenaline rushes that you, you know what I mean? It's, it was just such a adrenaline rush. It was, I loved it. I loved <laughs> That's it, man. Amazing. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that with me. I'm having so much fun listening to these stories. Um, <laughs> 1991, you head to Super World Sports in Japan. Um, so how did the opportunity come about? And you, you mentioned before it was it was quite the learning experience for you because you get to work with the likes of the great Kabuki, Chris Adams, King Haku, Kendo, Kendo Nagasaki, Hercules, Paul Roma, Tito Santana. There's a whole bunch of guys there at the time. Um, and as you mentioned before, there was a connection with uh, New York and, and Super World Sports. So please tell me about how you got there and, and just the experience of being in Japan for the very first time. Well, it all again, it, it, you know, something in the business that you don't do, you don't want to try and burn any bridges because you want to be able to tomorrow. You know what I mean? And that's anything, really. You don't want to try and burn any bridges because you don't know what tomorrow may be or come. But while I was in Puerto Rico, I met this super nice guy. God bless him, too. His name was uh, Victor Quinones. And Victor Quinones had a connection with um, with uh, Kendo Nagasaki. And Kendo Nagasaki had the connection with the SWS, World Super World Sports. And they were looking for new talent to come over there because they were just starting that company up, just starting it. There was a billionaire over there as the Japanese guy. His name was uh, Mr. Tanaka. Super nice guy. He's a billionaire. And, you know, the wrestling, he wanted to sponsor a wrestling company. So he started up SWS. And um, so Victor Quinones asked me, hey, Roadblock, you want to go to Japan? You know, it's like only like a two, three day trip. I mean, at least you get the experience and you see what it's like and you don't know what happens from there. I said, absolutely. So 
I got all my stuff together and uh, Lord and behold, you know, in the wrestling business, you don't, you don't get excited about going because, you know, oh, we're going to Europe, we're going to Australia, we're going here, we're going there to get your hopes all up and there's no ticket. So I didn't get my, I, I didn't get my hopes up until I went to the mail and seen my airline ticket. I'm going to Japan for two, three days. So what happened was I went over there, we wrestled and um, they just, they were just starting out. This was like their second show. And I said, and I, and I got to new, meet a dude by the name of Beef Wellington. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not. Beth Wellington. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Canadian dude, real super nice guy. And I thank him, man. I never got the chance to, cause I never seen him after that, but he said, yo, bro block, man, these people here, they have a dojo. They love guy jeans, foreigners, and they'll train you and they'll pay you to train you. Did they pay you to train you? He says, yeah. He says, just ask Kendall Nagasaki. So I talked to Kendall Nagasaki. I say, hey, Kendall, you know, I'd really like to come over here to Japan and train if that's okay, if it's possible. And they allow me to. He said, Roadblock, let me get back to you and I'll let you know. And so I did my tour there for the two, three days and probably within three, four months, he's called me up and said, yo, they want to give you a contract to come over there for six months, train and wrestle. And um, you're all set. So that March, I ended up going to Japan. The, bad th the only bad thing about Japan, brother, was every time I went to Japan, something bad happened to me. You know what I mean? But other than that, I mean, Japan is the most beautiful place. I, I mean, I go over there and live. Believe me, I'd live there if I could. But anyways, um, I went over there and wrestled for six months. And my first tour over there as... Uh, um, being there for six months, signing the contract, they told me, they said, well, you beat WWF to the punch as far as signing this contract with us, because right at, just after you signed, we signed the contract and agreement with you, we signed an agreement with WWF to have them come over exclusively, just them and no other guy jeans. But we had to tell them and we told them that you would be the only guy gene here because you're going to, you know, the training, the dojo and this and that. And, you know, you'll be here for six months. And they said, OK. And so, you know, I was there for six months and I trained. They didn't they didn't treat me like a green boy. A guy, you know what I mean? They didn't treat me like uh, I was just starting out. They left it up to me to come there and train every morning. And I did. I, they, they put me in a, a dojo house with the green boys in there. And, you know, I, again, you know, I started out in the business a little late. I was 31, 32, you know what I mean? At this time. And, um, what happened was, um, the, the owner, he owned two, three hotels, like a, or apartment complexes and eyeglass company. And he said, here, we're going to give you your own apartment. And so they put me in my own apartment, but I still made it to the, to the, dojo every morning man every morning i made it to the dojo to train and um i'll tell you something man over in japan there's nowhere in the world where they treat their wrestlers that are getting into the business like a like man i don't know how to explain what the word it would be what you get there brother you clean the gym after you clean the gym and mop every damn mat in the gym you end up 
working out, you do a hundred pushups, you do a hundred sit-ups, you run two, three miles, you, you get in that ring for three hours and you work out and you work out and you work out, you do a hundred backdrops, backdrops. And then when you're done doing that, brother, listen to this one. And this is no kidding, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't see it. Old timers will come there and, you know, work out a little bit here and there, you know what I mean? Get in the ring with the boys in there or lift weights. When they got done working out, brother, they tell the green boy that just got done working out and training for three hours, come over here and give me a body massage. And they go over there and massage the, 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 the veterans for an hour until they got tired. And then when they got done working out, they'd mop the floors again. And then they would have an hour to lay down and sleep and take it easy, eat lunch. And then after that, they'd end up going and lifting weights for another two, three hours. And brother, this went on five days a week. You know, they'd get to the dojo at nine in the morning. They wouldn't leave till five at night. They didn't treat me like that. Why? I don't know. But I thank God they didn't. And they left it up to me, you know, to put my time in. And I did put my time in. Um, did I get over there real hard and heavy, you know, as far as wrestling? No, I didn't. But again, that's my fault. You know what I mean? That was my fault that I, because uh, I should I should have been more successful with that company than I was. But I think WWF had part to do with it because, again, I jumped in the ring on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it seemed like any time that they had a chance to, like, knock me down a notch or two. OK, he's going to be here, but we ain't going to put him over like we could. Because of what he did to us. You see what I mean? Right. But it, it is what it is. And again, I, you know, I could think of, you know, the bad net, but I'm blessed, man. I got to look at the positive and say, hey, man, it's all good. It was a good experience. And I tell you, man, I love I love Japan. I, I went back, like I said, like probably two, three more times after that. And I just stopped going over there because, you know, it seemed like every time I went over there, the first time I went over there, um, it was a snowstorm here in Rochester, New York. It was like an inch of ice on every branch in the city. And the whole, the whole city was shut down because a, a snowstorm is different than an ice storm. Snowstorm, you just plow it, but the ice brother, there's no nothing. You can't do nothing because the roads are all ice and you didn't have no electricity. I mean, so they shut everything down the airports. They couldn't leave. Enough. So that was that time. The other time I was getting ready to leave, we had a delay, delay over in uh, Detroit and two planes hit each other on the runway. Not nothing major damage, but they still collided. And that was a big delay. And then the last time I went over there, I flew over there. And just as I got over there, like, like you, you know, you're 12 hours difference from me. So I flew over there and now here it is 12 hours difference. And I call my house or back home and I find out how my dad was because my dad was really, really, really sick. And my mother said he has a death rattle and he's not going to make it. So I had to tell the promoter, yo, man, I'm not going to be able to wrestle. I got to go back home. So I flew to Japan, called my parents or my mom and told, told me that my dad was getting ready to pass. So I had to fly back home. It's like I just got on the plane to fly there and fly back home. And that was the last time I went, you know, and um, they they offered me to come back there a couple other times. But I just it was just, you know, I just I didn't want to have to deal with the. You know what I mean? 
I understand. Uh, absolutely. Um, I uh, I noticed uh, in my research, I was doing some searching for some matches on YouTube. Saw a great match between you and Tugboat. Uh, I just want to ask, uh, how did you enjoy working with him? Because uh, uh, you know, two big guys going at it. I thought that was uh, you guys really went well together. Yeah, I thought we I thought we had an okay match. I thought I I should have got a little bit more out of there. I think we could have stretched it out a little bit longer. <clears throat> but again, I think, you know, the WWF didn't want me to do too much or let Tugboat allow too much to go on because of, you know, what I've done to them. You know what I mean? Right. And Tugboat's a big guy too now. I mean, he, he was a little bit bigger than me, you know, and um, he was a super nice guy, you know. Um, Tugboat, that was a pretty good match. That was a pretty good match. Not bad, you know what I mean? It was short, but... You know, it was what it was, what it was. and I, I had fun working with them. Awesome, bro. Um, so there, there are going to be a whole bunch of random matches that I bring up during this interview. Uh, and another one in, uh, I think you pronounce this, Clementon, New Jersey, 28th of March, 1992. You worked with Kamala. Um, just wanted to know what that experience was like. That was a beautiful experience because Kamala was not only a taker, he was a giver too. And this was the independence. Again, this was for Larry Sharp, actually. I believe this was with Larry Sharp or was this with uh, WCCW? I can't remember which were the two because WCCW was out of New Jersey too. So I can't remember which one of the two, but Kamala was a, a super nice guy, man. Super nice guy. You know? I'm just, I'm just going to do a little search here on the internet to see if I can find who it was for, just so, just so we know. Um, yeah. Let's have a look. Uh, WWA. Was WWA. Uh, World Wrestling Association. Flemington, New Yeah, that was, that was uh, Larry, Larry Sharp's. Larry Sharp's independent show, WWA. Yeah. yeah, that was with Kamala. I was right the first time, right? You were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a long time, brother. I mean, man, I haven't wrestled, man, since 99, 20, what? How many years ago is that? 20, what? Wow, 23 years ago? Something like that, 22 years ago. Yeah, yeah, 22 years. <laughs> yeah, brother. I mean, I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. I mean, you know, I see a lot of, you know, Buddies that, that, like, for an example, when I wrestled WCW, everything's clicky. You know, I don't want to take you off. You know, I'm sure you got a set program, but I don't want to take you off. Okay. WCW, everything was clicky. You know what I mean? In fact, all the wrestling companies are clicky. You know, you're in that click or you're in this click or you're in that click or you're in this click. I was in a click where we were called uh, the Tri-State Boys because it was New Jersey, um, New York. You know what I mean? And um, anyways, it was Hugh Morris, myself, Johnny Grunge, and uh, Rocco Rock, you yeah, know, Public cool. Enemy. Yeah. And all four of us guys, we, we were like brothers, man. We all got the same tattoo on our, on our, on the back. Hold on. Maybe I could, can you see me? I can. I don't know if you can see the, the, I the, can the see tattoo. It. Yeah, yeah, all four of us, brother. All four <laughs> of us went there in, in uh, Florida. We all got the same tattoo. It was a heart or it was a cross. 
And we all called ourselves the, the Loyal Order of the Chubba Bubbles, L-O-C-B. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you a funny joke about that. And the four of us all got our tattoos. Now, like I said, everything's clicky. The Mexicans did the same thing. They went and all got the tattoos of the crosses on their backs, too. You know, Rey Mysterio. Oh, man, I, I can't even think of the names of the of the, the Mexican guys. I mean, there's just so many of them. But anyways, yeah. you know, and um, Chris Jericho, he didn't get the tattoo on his back, but he became a subsidiary loyal order of the Chubba Bubbles, too. He was like one of our members, too, you know what I mean? Not full-fledged, but, you know, because it was just a, a cool thing that, you know, so Chris Jericho was a part of the the Chubba Bubba thing too. Not that we all hung out like that because Chris Jericho was in the clique with um, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, himself, and um, God bless uh, Chris Benoit. Right, you know, of course. That was, their, that was their clique. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I said, you know, everything was a click, 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 click. And um, it was all good, man. It was a great time. That's super cool to to hear about. Um, and I will be getting to some WCW questions very soon. I just I, I need to bring this up because you, you did allude to it before with the situation with uh, One Man Gang and Slick. Uh, 29th of June, 1992. It's a dark match for WWF superstars. You defeat Brian Costello on that show. I don't know if you worked any other uh dark matches for the company around that time is this the show that you're at where you had that full circle meeting again with one man gang who did i have the dark match with uh the name was brian costello brian costello just uh he's a and this was with wwf or wcw uh wwf you you were known as the golden retriever no that's not me that's not you. Ah, I see. No. Okay, I found the first thing that's incorrect. Excellent. Okay, cool. That's good. That's good. Because um, there are a few other things that I've already uncovered that aren't true, which I'm happy about, because then I can fix up your Wikipedia article. What and, other uh, things? Mind me asking what are a couple of things that you've seen that wasn't true? Because um, I'll tell you well, something, brother. They have me on Facebook or, I don't know, uh, or Wikipedia or whatever. Then I'm 70 years old. Then, I'm, then I was born 10 years prior. I was born in 1950. Brother, I was born in 1960. I mean, you know, I'm blessed. I'm 60, 61 years old here, but I mean, I'm not no damn 10 years older. And they had this on uh, social media 20, 30 years ago. So I'm just curious. Like, thing, what, yeah. It said that you came back to wrestling in 2008 and you wrestled for four years. My last match was uh, Independence with Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge with uh, a guy named Joe that was a promoter in Youngstown, uh, Ohio. I did it like about, I don't know, maybe a year because I left WCW in 98. Yeah. And I went and did the Independence for several months, almost a year after that. And I just... Uh, I stopped because, uh, you know, I was uh, going on 40 years old, right? 19, yeah, nine, yeah, I was almost 40 years old. I was mm. 39, and I got a job. I was working for the city of Rochester when I wasn't wrestling. 
And I kept that job just as far as for backup security and, you know, something to fall back on. Because I tell you something, man, a lot of wrestlers, man, after they get done to where they can't wrestle no more or they don't have anything to fall back on during a hard, tough situation. I mean, look at Bobby Eaton and, you know, the list could go on and on where, you know, they didn't have nothing to fall back on, didn't have any money. And I'm blessed because, brother, next year at this time I'm retiring. I have, you know... 29 years in with the New York state retirement system because I worked for a juvenile facility before I got into wrestling and um, 25 years, you know, working with the city while wrestling and this and that, you know what I mean? So Lord one, I'll retire next year with a pension and my social security. And I don't have to worry about, you know, where I'm going to get my next meal. Thank God, man. So, that is you know, awesome. I'm, I'm blessed, I'm, man. I'm really, truly blessed each and every day, man. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, okay, so we've uncovered some untruths there, which is excellent. Um, that's another great thing I like having on the show is to ensure that the truth is out there about everybody that I've had on the show. Um, so I, I did want to bring up uh, you going back to Japan again. We're almost at WCW here, um, but uh, wrestling for Wing, uh, the Wrestling International New Generations, as uh, Mast Inferno, uh, I believe, is the, the name that you utilized there. You worked with some other notable names, uh, Kevin Sullivan, Jason the Terrible, Mel Mascaris, uh, and even a match that I was like, I can't believe this, a fire death match with Eric Embry. Um, <laughs> please tell me about uh, <laughs> any experiences that you uh, had there that, you know, you might be notable to bring up on the show. I... It said that I had a, a fire match with Eric Embry. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to, but I, I didn't. No, 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 no. I, I, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. No. Cause I, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have a problem with some gimmicks, you know what I mean? But I'm not into all that gimmicky stuff, the explosions, the tax, the, the, the barbed wire, you know, I mean, they, they were brother, let me tell you something, man. Some of these guys, they they have a couple loose nuts and screws upstairs because you're not going to hit me with a barbed wire bat with barbed yeah. wire on it, dude. This is a business. I'm not here, you know. This isn't, you know, no. Nah, this this isn't Mad Max. You know what I mean? I mean, I take my hat off to 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 um, Mick Foley. I wrestled Mick Foley when I was in WCW. You know, in the beginning of my career, McFoley's a he's a hell of a man. He's a better man than I am as far as to do the things that he's done. You know what I mean? And he really is one that brought hardcore wrestling to the surface, if you know what I mean, into the main stream, you know, WWE. You know, yeah. brother, I mean, God bless him. He's a bad man, but he's paying for it now. You know, but and see that's that's that that's the thing that Wing was all about. Wing figured they wanted to put asses in seats. And F FWM or MFW? Uh, Onita? FMW, yeah. FMW Onita, he was drawing crowds over there, brother, like no other. He was taking, you know, the wild side of the Japanese and bringing them to watch his wrestling because Japanese people are very, very laid back. And 
to go to, I'll tell you the difference, not to swerve off of this here conversation, but the difference between going to a Japanese wrestling match and going to Puerto Rico or Mexico wrestling match, Puerto Rico, that's a night out of, you know, going out like a Friday night, having the ball and having fun. You know what I mean? To go watch wrestling because they take it real there. In Mexico, it's more, you know, somewhat that way, but they're more um, laid back. You know, they'll clap and cheer, but they don't get out of hand like Puerto Rico, even though in Mexico they'll throw they'll throw uh, coins at you and hit you in the head. And then their dollars, they don't feel good, man, in the back of the head. But anyways, you go to a wrestling match in Japan, brother, it's like going a night at the opera. They all wear suits. <laughs> I mean, brother, they, they just sit there and they, they clap. Oh, when there's a high spot, they just clap. Oh, real quiet. But then they start changing up because you remember the Bushwhackers? Yeah. The Bushwhackers were over there and they're two cool dudes too, man. I wrestled with them a couple of times too in the independence. But anyways, um, when the Bushwhackers came over to Japan to wrestle with the WWF when I was over there, you, like I said, it's like going the night at the opera in Japan, but there was this little section, a little section over in the corner where when the Bushwhackers came out and they do their, you know, their arms up and down like that, right? Yeah. The, yeah. If you look over in that little section, there was a group of like maybe 20, 30 people doing the same thing. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and that was just so funny and hilarious because it was like, Nigga, look at this. The American style is starting to change the style of Japanese. And to get back to Onita, that that brought a whole different kind of a crew, a new generation of Japanese. So um, Victor Quinones was one of the partners with Wing. And he figured, what the heck, man? He was from Puerto Rico, and he knows hardcore because, uh, you know, Puerto Rico is tough, man. And um, he wanted to put some asses and take away some some of the, the – or he wanted to get some of the fans that are coming to the FWM. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's why he went hardcore and, and did the wing. You know, I wrestled there uh, for him. You know, I did one tour over there for him, and – I really wasn't into it. And I'll tell you something. There was one. Here's how messed up it is over in Japan, man, when you're a green boy and you're a veteran. A green boy looked at, didn't say anything, looked at one of the veteran's girlfriends, just looked at her, brother, just looked at her. And the veteran seen that. He got in the ring that night and it was time for the young boy to color. And the young boy didn't know how to color. So the veteran said, I'll cut, I'll, I'll color you. Brother, he sliced him from here to here. Oh, Skin God. was hanging. You know what I mean? All because he looked at his girl. You know what I mean? I said, dude, why'd you do that, man? He no look at my girl no more. Brother, that's your girlfriend here, but you got away from Puerto Rico. <laughs> I said, well, I mean, that young boy didn't want nothing to do with it. I mean, he's scared to death of you. You know, but anyways, that was, you know, just one incident that, you know. But, um, yeah, I... I I, I, I wrestled for Wing because uh, Victor Quinones, and I did that tour because, you know, he looked out for me. He's the one that helped me get into Mexico. He's the one that helped me get into Japan. And I, and I felt that I, I 
owed that to him at least to go over there and wrestle for his company that he was just starting out, even though that was not my style. Fair enough. Thank you for letting me know about all that. That's uh, I just love all that that information. It's really good. I'm not uh, carrying on too much, am I for you? No, no, I'm loving it. This is great. Uh <laughs> Uh, and speaking of Mexico, we're so close to WCW here, but speaking of Mexico, uh, you, you wrestled there as uh, Torre Infernal, which is known as the Infernal Tower in the UWA in 92-93. You feud with uh, El Kinec, is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, El Kinec. Actually, I don't know, can you see the mask? Yes. The one on uh, over here, that's Kinec, that's Rey Mysterio. That the Villanos and the bottom one here is me when I was wrestling as uh, the Tower Inferno. Right. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mexico, really Mexico was a tradition of, you know, wearing masks because I guess they didn't want their identity to be shown in that. And um, Connect was a hell of a guy, you know? Connect was a, a good worker. I liked him. And I wrestled with uh, Mel Mascris there. We did like a double. Because, in, see, and the other difference in Mexico is that, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. They do a, a series of wrestling. They do the best out of three. Of course. Hold yeah. on here. Hold on here. Okay. They do a series, the best out of three. Yeah. You know, two, you know, and um, hold on a second. Hold on. No worries. Hold on. Somebody's trying to call me. I got to ignore. Uh, but anyways, um, I love Mexico and um, it, it, it was uh, it, it was different. I loved it, though. I loved it. Every every arena, every arena that I wrestled in Mexico was like, a, what do you call it? Um, where they do the bullfighting arena. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I love Mexico and connect. He was the, uh, how, how can I say it? Um, I'll tell you the situation with Connect and I. I don't know. I'm just waiting for that. Can you hear that beeping? Yeah. <laughs> That's a buddy of mine calling me, and I'm trying to ignore him right now because I'm talking to you. I'm waiting for it to stop. Let me see. There we go. All right. I'm back with you. Yeah. Okay. They said Mexico, they get into the bleeding too. You know what I mean? Not like Puerto Rico, but they do a little. And they said they were trying to build connecting me up for uh, a main event. That's, you know what I mean? That's what they brought me there for. And so connecting, I were going at it, going at it. And he said, yo brother, you got a color tonight. I said, what? Says you got a color. I said, oh, man, I don't like the color. I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't get it. He says, I'll do you a favor. I'll do it for you. I said, what? He says, I'll color you. I said, oh, man, are you serious? He says, I won't hurt you. I said, well, okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe you and trust you because we had that kind of a, you know, relationship. So we were wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Then we get into he. He gets me in the corner and he's starting to beat me, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. And then all of a sudden he like bites me on the forehead and he sticks the razor in my forehead and turns it. No big deal. No problem. And then what he does is he covers my nose and mouth like this 
with both hands holding it so the blood will gush out. Yeah. Dude, I'm starting I'm starting to have trouble breathing. I'm saying, what the hell? So I had I I threw him probably halfway across the ring because I couldn't breathe. And um <laughs> when I did that, he looked, he got up and looked at me and he laughed. And he said, Oh, meaning that because I was coloring real good now, you know, the blood was gushing out. And uh I I, I said, you know what? I, I, I trusted that dude, man. To and I, I got a little dead in my head because you know I don't have a lot of marks because I, I wasn't really a colorer. Because brother, let me tell you something. There's guys in the business, man. There's these two brothers. They're called the the headhunters. Yeah. They're from the Caribbean, brother. They died to, to color every night. They wanted to color every single night. I mean, I'm not. I, you know, I, I'm just not into the coloring, man. You know. I don't have a problem. I do it if I got it, but you know. Anyways, <laughs> I, I, I love Mexico. Mexico was cool. I tell you Not something about uh, Mil Mascaris. You want to hear a story about Mil Mascaris? Yes, please. <laughs> Mil Mascaris was so protective of his gimmick and his identity that we would wrestle. We would get in the van, brother. Listen to this now. We would get in the van at. 10 o'clock in the morning and it would be nothing but the boys in the van driving three, four hours to the wrestling ring. He would be the only one on that van with his mask on. Now listen to this. This is how serious he was, brother. We go now, like I said, it was early in the morning. We'd be in that van, all of us going to an arena to wrestle three hours away we would get there to the arena, we'd wrestle, we'd leave there, we'd go to a restaurant and eat. He'd be the only one, again, the only one with a mask on. Because when you're far away from the arena, you know, in Mexico, they all try and protect their, their identity. You know what I mean? But when you're away from the arena and you're 50 miles down the road, you can take your mask off and you know, you could be yourself and relax. Not Mil Mascaris, brother. Mil Mascaris still has his mask on. So check <laughs> this out. We go and have dinner. He's eating with his dinner. He's eating his dinner with his mask on. He's eating his dinner with his mask on, brother. Lifting it up, you know, lifting it up. Just, just to this fire, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Brushed his teeth with his mask on. I felt honored to be honest with you. After he got rust done wrestling, showered with his mask on. Never took his mask off. So they told Mil Mascaris and I that we had to go with another uh driver because him and I were in the main event, like about two hours down the road. Everybody else went home. So just no mascaris and me in the van. He still kept his mask on, never took it off. We ended up wrestling the two out of three that night, and the promoter came. The promoter came to the arena after everybody was gone. It was just no mascaris, myself, and the promoter. Believe it or not, no mascaris took his mask off, and it was just him, me, and the, and the promoter. I felt kind of, you know, uh, honored. You know what I mean? Like, wow. 
he, he wouldn't take his mask off with his brothers here, you know, the Mexicans, but he took it off, you know, with me there. And I was like, wow. The only thing I regret, brother, as far as about that whole deal, that I don't have one of them of no maskers. You know what I mean? Yeah. But other yeah. than that, man, that's how deep Mil Maskris wasn't trying to cover up or protect his identity of wrestling, man. Unbelievable. And, and he put two, two masks on top of another, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. He had one mask on, and then because he would do it as a tradition, and he'd take the other mask off and just throw it to the fans. That way he had, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that, that was an experience, brother. That was an experience. <laughs> That's really crazy stuff. Um, before I talk about WCW, I just want to ask, what's it like being a big man on the road? How difficult is it to travel, being so tall, being so wide? You're the roadblock for a reason. <laughs> How tough was it all those years traveling as a big man? It, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. But here's, here's where, here's why I looked at it like this, brother. I realized that I didn't have it as bad as some people. And I'm going to explain to you to tell you the reason why I say that. I was in Mexico. I went and got in the van. This is when I first got to Mexico. I got in the van and the seat, it was a steel seat. You know what I mean? The steel bars to hold the seat up. It was bent at a 45 degree angle like this. I said, what the hell happened in this seat? Oh, Andre just got out of it. He was here last week. <laughs> Andre bent the seat back because he was so big. And I'm saying to myself, oh, my God. I said, and I'm complaining. I'm six foot, you know, seven, and Andre's seven foot what? You know what I mean? And he yeah. had to endure the same situation. You know what I mean? And it was like, I don't have it as bad as I could have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's been challenges my whole life as far as being my size, but I've learned to adjust and, you know, I'm blessed, man. I mean, you know, I'll tell you another thing here, this here DDP. I don't know if you ever got heard about it or not. DDP. Of course. Yeah. Um, I, I've lost a lot of weight doing his DDP and I can, I, I feel a difference in my, my body as far as, flexibility and all that and I'm I'm doing a lot better you know as far as because I didn't wrestle for the last 20 years and I gained brother I got up to like 510 pounds wow you know what I mean yeah that's a lot man uh, I could barely you know get around in that but and I still work for the city but you know I um I'm blessed man I, I got COVID back in December I lost 35 pounds and then I got into the DDP I got a hold of Diamond Dallas we started talking and he hooked me up with his program and he said, brother, I take care of all the boys because DDP is a true, a true brother, man, you know, and, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm blessed, man. So as far as my size, you know, I've never used it against me as far as bullying people because that's just not the way I was brought up. And, um, you know, I adjusted, you know, it was good times and bad times, you know? So, yeah, that's no, all good. This DDP yoga is 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 giving people a new lease on life. I've seen so many videos. I've been doing it myself over the years. Um, uh, you know, like someone like Chris Jericho, he couldn't come back to wrestling 
unless he fixed his back and he fixed his back through DDP yoga. So um, a lot of this, even Mick Foley, he's doing it because of his knees and it's just, he's suffering real bad these days. So um, any chance anyone wants to plug DDP yoga on this show, it's fine by me. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Hey, this is one of the shirts, man. Positively unstoppable. Yeah. That's his shirt, man. DDP is the man, brother. I'm telling you. Have you got the chance or the the blessing to be able to um, talk to him? Not yet. No, I would love to, but he probably gets bombarded with requests every day. So hopefully one day I can. Uh, I, I've sent a few emails, but you know, again, I understand people uh, like him. Oh yeah, no, he's, he's not like he's not like me. I mean, he's got. All, I got all the time in the world, basically. You know, if I'm not working or I don't have my son, you know, I mean, Sundays, the weekends are when I'm free every other weekend. You know, during the week, I'm busy, you know, working. And then after I work, I got, you know, stuff going on. And I got my son every other week. And so that only gives me like every other weekend, which is why I was able to do it today, you know, at this time and that. But DDP, I couldn't imagine. I'm sure he's got, you know, public relations people telling him what he's got to do and where he's got to go. And, you know, but God bless him, man. he's, He's a Mohegan, man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely and yeah i will hold hope that one day i get in touch with him because i'd love to connect with him um, and speaking of ddp it's time to talk about wcw bro this is where i first discovered you and became a fan of you uh 1996 how does this opportunity come about to to come aboard world championship wrestling again we're going to go back to japan mm-hmm when I was in Japan, like you said earlier, I met, you know, you named several different people and Kevin Sullivan was one of them. And Kevin Sullivan liked me and said, brother, I tell you something, man, if I ever had the opportunity, man, to help you and get you a spot, I'll do it. He said, because your facial expressions and everything is just so strong, man. And, and, you know, I like you and, and that he took to me and I said, thank you. I appreciate it. And you're a good man too, Kevin. I appreciate all your help and everything. And, and that, and uh, we left on good terms for uh, Japan. Like I said, you know, you try not to burn any bridges because you don't know what bridge you cross tomorrow. And um, in 96, that's when the, the wars started with the WCW and the WWF because I took time off of wrestling, you know, and I said, you know what? Hey, look at this WCW and WWF are hitting. I mean, they're going off the Richter scale. You know what I mean? That's when they had the wars. And I found out that um, Kevin Sullivan was the booker. He was the, he was the man there. And I got a hold of him and I said, Hey, Kevin, this is roadblock. I said, uh, you know, I, I really like to come here and see what kind of opportunities I have. And he says, brother, not a problem. I'll set you up. And, you know, we, it just snowballed from there. I mean, I came there at a time where there was just so much going on, man. You, you get lost in the shuffle. And, you know, I mean, there was a lot of talent there that was a whole lot better than me. I'm not saying I was or not, but there was a whole lot more better talent there that was just getting overseen, you know, like 
that, that should have been, you know, and all they did was focused on, you know, certain people that, you know, I think they, they, they could have been a whole lot better and they could have been a whole lot more successful. I think they could have probably took WWF down if they would have worked their talent better and their shows better. But that's for me not to say, you know, anyways, yeah. I'm blessed, man, to, to have had the opportunity to wrestle there in the WCW from 96 to 98. And um, yeah. again, I'm, you know, I mean, you know, I was, I was older there. I was like 38, 39 years old. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I was blessed to meet a lot of guys and that's when, you know, myself, Hugh Morris and, and, um, public enemy became good friends, you know, because I, I crossed paths with these guys. Let me explain to you prior to going to the WCW when I was in Mexico, Hugh Morris was coming or going and I was coming or going. So we crossed paths and he was a New Jersey boy, Hugh Morris and, um, Johnny grunge and, um, and, um, Rock Rock. They both wrestled for uh, WCCW, the Savoldi brothers, yeah. back in the day. But they weren't, they weren't, you know, public enemy. They were both, you know, independent or um, single wrestlers. Yeah. And, you know, and then once I went to WCW, it was like we were all reunited or united, you know what I mean? And that's how we became a clique. You know, we traveled together every night and partied together every night. And, you know, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a good thing, man. <laughs> but That's yeah, great, from 90, yeah, from 96 to 98. And what happened to the end of my uh, run with WCW was um, I felt that, you know, I was a team player long enough to the point to where they could have gave me some kind of a contract. And, right. you know, like I said, I think I might have been a team player too long and I could have did things different that I didn't. But, you know, the point I'm getting to is that I already wrestled Bill Goldberg and they called me up and they said, Hey, Roblox, we got a, a, a ticket for you to go to uh, uh, New Orleans to wrestle Bill Goldberg on a Monday Nitro. Cause the first time I wrestled Bill Goldberg was on a Saturday night, whatever yeah. event. And uh, I said, okay, no problem. And I went to thinking and thinking and thinking. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to go. So I called them up and I sent them the ticket back. I said, I'm sending you a ticket back. I can't go. Um, something came up and um, I'm not going to be able to make it. Um, and they said, okay, no problem. Send the ticket back. I sent the ticket back or ripped it up, whatever. And then two weeks later, they sent me another ticket to Russell Bill Goldberg in Miami, Florida. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just come clean with them and explain to them rather than tell them, uh, you know, things come up. I can't do it because it's kind of sort of, you know, why buy the cow when you could get the milk for free? You know what yeah. I'm saying or no? You understand what I mean? Yeah. And they were, they were basically getting the milk for free from me on a nightly rather than paying me a, a, a contract or something to where I have security. Yeah. So, even though I had the, the job with the city still, you know, I was looking to see what way I was going to be going here. So what happened was, cause I would have left the city job, even though I was in the city to move the, to Atlanta or whatever, to make this a good run because, you know, 
that's what I wanted to do at the time. But anyways, I called WCW and I don't know who I talked to, maybe JJ Dillon or something. And I said, Hey JJ, I got to be straight up with you and honest, man. It's not a matter of that. I can't make this here Monday Nitro to Russell Bill Goldberg in Miami. It's a matter of, I need some kind of guarantee from WCW. I've been working for you for two years. I said, I've done everything that you guys wanted me to every time, every step of the way. And, you know, if I can't get a, a, a deal here, we can't work out a contract and I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to have to stop coming here because I'm, I'm done. You know what I mean? And they said, okay, no problem. We'll get back a hold of you. We'll let you know what's going on. And it just happened to be that was a time when everything was falling apart at WCW too. You know what I mean? If you think about it, back in late 98, yeah. things were just fall, starting to fall apart for WCW, them and WWF. And I, you know, got a, I got a call. I think they said, well, you know, we, we're not going to be able to do anything with you right now, but if you want to stay with us for a little longer, maybe we might be able to work something out down the line. And I told him, I said, I can't do that. I can't do it. And what I should have possibly done was maybe called up WWE at the time. You know, maybe they would have gave me a shot because they were looking for something to just help their, their company out. Not that I would have or not, but I'm just saying, you know. But, um, you know, that was the end of my, uh, my run as far as with WCW. And then, like I said, you know, Johnny Grunge and, and um, what's his name? Um, Rocco okay. Rock. Yeah, Rocco, they 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 left WCW to go to WWF and they really screwed them over because what happened was, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but before Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge went to WCW, WWF gave them a, a deal. They said, hey, we'll bring you guys on. We want you guys to wrestle for us. And what they did was they played the 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 what is that? The the ladder thing where, okay, well, we got, we could get a deal here with WWF or we could get here a, double, a deal with uh, WCW. So they're playing them back and forth to see where they get the best deal with. So WCW, they were just giving money out hand over fist. And so they got a good deal from WCW to where, you know, they told WWF, uh, we're done. We're going to, we're going to go to WW, WCW. And what happened was that came back to them. If you think about it, they burned their bridge with WC, WWF because what happened was they realized and seen that WCW was starting to go down. So they said a couple guys, I'll tell you something else too. After this, a couple guys started going over to WWE from WW, WCW and uh, public enemy was one of the crews or, you know, tag teams that went over to WWE and as soon as they got there Vince doesn't forget man Vince doesn't forget and he pounded them I mean he pounded them I mean they shot on on uh I don't know if you ever seen any of their matches That's when they were over there of that. yeah I mean they yeah. just shoot they did a shoot on them guys they they just literally opened up can of whoop ass on both of them and after they did that they just got rid of them they ruined them. Yeah. And so they, they ended up going into independence. You know what I mean? Because they couldn't go back to WCW. They couldn't go to WWF. So now they were on their last run with the independence. Um, like I said, I was going to get back to uh, the WWE. I was working with the WCW. And I got a call from... 
Oh, who the hell? What the heck's his name? Oh, man, I can't think of his name right on hand. Oh, he was one of their... Oh, I can't think. He was their agent. Was it? Is this, is this uh, you talking about Jim Ross or Bruce Pritchard or... Uh, Not one of them. It was someone else. The black hair, the beard. Oh, uh, what Jack Lanza. No, no. Uh, he was in the... He, he wasn't like one of the agents in the front. He was way in the back, like one of the executives. Jerry Russo. Jerry oh, Russo. Russo. Vince Russo. There you go. See, I, <laughs> thanks a lot, brother. You you know your stuff, man. You know your stuff. But Vince Russo called my house, and I wasn't home. And he wanted me to come over to the WWE to join um, Earthquake. John Tenta, because you know how John Tenta was doing a mask gimmick? Yeah, 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 yeah. In the very end, they yeah. wanted me to come over there and tag up with him as a gimmick, with a mask gimmick. Right. But they never got a hold of me. And at that time, guess who was leaving the w- WCW to go over to WWF? The Giant. All oh, right. The giant went over to the WWF. So they said, yeah. well, shit, we're bringing in the, 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 the true giant. What are we going to bring in, you know, roadblock for? You know, we don't need him. We got the giant. Right. And so, you know, that all fell through. But, you know, it makes me feel good. At least they thought a little bit about me. But I don't know what it would have turned out to be, you know, if I did go there. Even though I would have been under a mask, so nobody would have really known who I was anyway. But. But still, that's pretty cool to know. I, I, oh, yeah, I was that was that was cool. You know, I was thinking what? as this conversation was going on that, like, man, Vince Russo would love this guy because you're both from New York. I mean, you get along quite well, I, I would say. So yeah, I mean, it seems like it would be a you know a perfect match. Yeah, that would have been nice. But I guess you know what's meant to be meant to be, and ain't it? So it's all <laughs> good. Everything it. happens for a reason. You believe that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and one thing that I, again, from my research, you, you talked about like the, your end of your WCW run there, but I kind of wanted to talk about the beginning here. Cause I love this, this segment that took place. Uh, and I wanted to see if I could find out what was actually going on here. It was the 16th of October, 96. Uh, it's at the uh, civic center in Anderson, South Carolina. You were slated to face Randy Savage who didn't show up. And to quote you upon hearing the news in the ring, you, you, you know, the referees are there talking about how Randy's not there. And you, you exclaimed, you know, I've been waiting my whole career for this. And I, I thought that you sold it so well. And I was so impressed with, uh, you know, you, you're telling the story of yourself at this point in your career in one sentence. And everyone already now knows that this is a journeyman who's waiting his whole career for this moment. And Savage isn't going to show up. You go backstage, you grab a job guy by the name of Dale Wolf, you drag him to the ring, you destroy him, and then you proceed to challenge Lex Luger to a match on Nitro that Monday. I thought, what a what a great way to come out of uh, the gates there. Could you please tell me about what happened there um, and why you didn't end up facing Randy and, and why this came about? Brother, uh, you know what? Your guess is as good as mine because they never said anything to me why they did that or why they even had me say that. 
and then go from Randy to Lex. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm boggled at that myself. Why they even, why they didn't just have me do Lex Luger right from the get go. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they had me do Randy and you know, I, I have no clue. <laughs> it was, it no was clue. cool little, it was a cool little angle. Um, I will say. Um, and then you do face Lex, uh, on Nitro, uh, in Mankato, uh, Minnesota on the 21st of October, 96 at the Civic Center there. Beats you with the torture rack. Um, this is your first outing on Nitro. This must have been pretty exciting for you to be on that prime time during the Monday Night Wars on Nitro. Uh, tell me how that felt being on live Monday Nitro. It was a, an adrenaline rush and to, you know, to uh, be on the Monday Nitro and working with Lex, um, that was an experience. Uh, without due respect to Lex Luger, you know, he he um, he was an over man, you know, he was over and, um, but he wasn't the type to want to give a lot, if you understand what I'm saying. When you're in the match, he wants to take more than give. And, you know, I, my honest feeling you know it's a give and take if you want to have a good match you know what I mean and um Lex was more of a taker but I felt like okay I I, I felt the match that we had was really a lot of missed spots and you know there were spots that I wanted to do with Lex Luger that he prevented me from doing it because maybe he wasn't comfortable with me or whatever. And he wanted to get over cause this was the Lex Luger show, you know, for this match here, you know, to get him over. And, yeah. um, I, I, you know, again, I did what I had to do to, to be a team player and, um, to get Lex over. He went to get me in the rack the first time and he couldn't get me up. And, uh, he said, brother, what the hell? We can't do this. I said, no, nah, brother, we'll do it. Let's try it again. I said to him in the, in the ring, let's do it again. I'll get up. He says, okay, brother. Okay. And then, you know, he got me in the rack and, you know, boom, I got up for him, you know, and got him over, you know? Yeah. And um, I wrestled him again, another match down the line. It was me and Bob, no, wait a minute, Ricky Fuller. It was Rick Fuller, myself, tagging up against the Giant and Lex Luger. And that was a pretty damn good match there that we had because I was able to get a whole lot more of my stuff out with Luger, you know what I mean, than I did yeah. that Monday Nitro and with the Giant, you know, the Giant's the Giant, you know what I mean? Even though yeah. he was real green and young and that, I mean, you know, he was best, definitely a, a future guy in the business. Absolutely. Uh, and another thing I really wanted to ask you about was that like that sawhorse shaped roadblock you'd wear as you walk into the ring. I want to know, did you travel with that thing or when you got to the arena, was there always one there? How, how do you uh, organize something like that? <laughs> well, I was here and I'm saying, I'm trying to get my gimmick together, my outfit and all this and that. <clears throat> and I want to be different. I'm saying, well, shoot. If I'm going to be a roadblock, I need to bring something to the ring, maybe like a roadblock, you know what I mean? Like a sawhorse that's a roadblock. And I'm saying I can't bring a wooden one, uh, you know. And so I found there was a, a sawhorse. It was a metal sawhorse. 
and it folds up into like a little, you know, into a little package. So okay. I ended up spray painting it and getting the, the light on it. I fixed it, made it, and I folded it up and I was able to carry it on in a bag and, um, you know, carry it to the ring. But what I did mess up was I should have put tape on the very bottom edges of it because what happened was when I was with WCW, I went to put it over my shoulders. And when I put it over my shoulders, the very bottom edge was so sharp, I sliced my thumb in oh, half shit. just oh, before shit. going out to the ring, wrestling the guy. And my ring and my finger was gushing blood out of it, brother. I mean, it was bleeding. And I, you know, forget my thumb. Let me get out there and work. So I get out there and my finger is just steadily bleeding. And I was getting them in the crotch, crotch, you know, picking them up, slamming them three, four times. And, you know, within three minutes, his, his, sweat, his, um, his pants all around his crotch were all full of blood. It looked like he had his period. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, my finger was just steadily bleeding. And they said, just take it home, man. Just take it home. And, you know, we took it home. And my finger, I, I still, looking at it right now to this day, I got a scar. But I should have uh, did something <laughs> about that. When I got home, I did. I got some rubber things to cover that little edge so I didn't have to worry about it happening again. But that's how I came up with that third little gimmick. You know, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I had to bring that up. But uh, the people would be mad if I interviewed Roadblock and didn't bring up the actual roadblock that you, you carried to the ring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I do have a bunch of matches. I was just going to just kind of skim through and, 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 and announce uh, on this uh, interview. And if you have a story here or there, please chime in. If not, I'll just keep going. But um, after you wrestle Lex, you work on WCW main event in Rochester, Minnesota against Ron Studd, who's known as Ron Race. Uh, on the same day, you also wrestled Jeff Jarrett for the WCW Saturday night taping for that week. And then your next appearance was the 24th of November at the Norfolk Scope in Virginia for the World War Three Battle Royal, 60 men, three rings. Do you have any story of, of that experience? Because that's that's it only happened like three or four times. Uh, so I, anytime I have someone on the show, um, like a Bobby blaze, uh, they always, they, they had a little story about their, their experience in the world war three. So how was that? Actually, believe it or not, that was when I actually met Ray Mysterio, uh, and, um, Kevin Nash and, and Scott Hall in the ring, not, you know, in the backs or anything in the ring because they called my name and I was just doing whatever, doing whatever. And then all of a sudden, Ray Mysterio comes in and we're talking and, you know, chopping each other, whatever, just doing little things. And uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall come in. Hey, brother, what's up? Hey, good. You uh, good to see you here and this and that. And, you know, <clears throat> we're just shooting the breeze. You know what I mean? And um that's actually where I met, like I said, them them three guys, which was really cool. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, one of them had to take me out. <laughs> <laughs> so you're having a conversation in the ring with the guys as you're working. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's fun, man. If you can't have no fun, that's when you got to just say, uh, you know, you got to give it up. <laughs> 
Um, and you did mention the giant earlier. The first time you worked with him was on the 27th of January, 97 on Nitro at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa. You also worked with him uh, on the 19th of March, the 7th and 8th of June on house shows and also the 15th of July. So you worked with him quite a few times. Uh, I think just, just looking at your matchups that you had in WCW, this is the guy you probably worked with the most. Um, how how did you find working with a you know a young Paul White? Uh, I found it was it was it was fun. It was fun. I mean, I I knew that they were looking to build him up more and more, and and you know take him to where you know to the top where he should be. You know, and um, I, I was just you know happy that I could do what I could do to help him. You know, and. Um, we had a couple good matches. You know, we had what you call big man matches. They weren't real long, but it wasn't, you know, supposed to be real long, I guess, because they didn't want, um, you know, Paul looking like I'm giving him a hard time because I'm not a headliner, you know what I mean? And um, so, you know, we had we had some good matches, though. You know what I mean? We went back and forth. He gave me a little here and there, and, you know, Paul was a good dude to work with. I like Paul. He was a good dude. He was young and, and that. That's cool, bro. I'm sorry if a lot of these questions coming up are just, for, you know, how is it working with this guy? How is it working with this guy? But I just, uh, I, I've, I've seen every match that you've ever had in WCW, except for the, the live events, the house Love shows, it. of course. So I really like to, um, I'm excited to sink my teeth into all of this Uh 4th of February, 97, you pick up a win over Buddy Lee Parker in Jackson, Tennessee. 17th of February, you work against Chris Benoit at the Florida State Fairgrounds in Tampa, Florida. I believe you work with him again on Saturday night soon after that. Uh, what's it like working with uh, Chris Benoit? Working with Chris Benoit is like having a night off, man, because Chris Benoit is a master at his craft. And Chris... Chris is another person that he wants to help you get over as well as getting himself over because the stronger you make the match look, the stronger he looks. And Chris, Chris, Chris was a master at his craft. He was, God bless him. You know, Chris was a hell of a good dude. I mean, God bless him. I mean, what happened to him? I don't know, man, whether, you know, there's speculation of what happened didn't happen, something else happened, but I can't, you know, Chris was a hell of a good dude, man. If you would have, I don't know if you ever talked to him or anything. Oh, man, if you talked to, if you talked to Chris, you would never, ever, ever think he was, you know, did what he did. You never, ever thought that because he's just so humble. And to be such a professional and a master at his craft, I mean, Chris was one of the best guys I, I, I liked there, you know what I mean? Personality-wise, he was... A one dude. Yeah, I, mean, I think you know. I mean, I don't want to speculate, but you know, there's you know a lot of the concussion issues, and you know they when they tested his brain and all that afterward, they found out it was so damaged from all the years and a lot of lesions here and there, and um, I guess it's uh, they said he had like an 82 year old's Alzheimer's brain almost. It was so damaged, uh, so something must have just gone wrong somewhere but you think about what's happened with a lot of nfl players over the years with their concussions and how some of them snapped and did things that they was completely out of their character um this this kind of thing is i just think prevalent with uh, head injuries question for you 
Have you heard the theory that possibly somebody else did this and killed him? I, I have, yeah, but I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't. I think with, uh, I don't I'm know. I'm just, just curious. Like, what is your, what is your opinion on that one? Or are you just? <laughs> the only thing I ever heard was that like people were like, oh, maybe Kevin Sullivan did it, but it, there's no way. It was so many years afterward. Why would he hold a grudge that long and then do something like that? That's that's the only. That's a ridiculous kind of claim that we've heard over the years. But uh, you know, I can't even imagine why anyone would would do something like that. You know. Right, right. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just a, a sad situation all around, man. All around, it's a sad situation, you know? It but, is, yeah. You know, um, God bless all three of them. Absolutely. Um, so I did want to bring up Rick Fuller because I, I see you two as so similar. Um, you, you're both the big guys working on Saturday Night or Nitro, and you help build a guy like Luger or the Giant or, or DDP or Goldberg, you know, did you, did you and Rick get along? Did you ever both kind of, did you get a feeling from him? Yeah. You know, did you two ever oh, like, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Cause I kind of feel like, man, Roadblock and Rick Fuller, two missed opportunities there, two big guys. Yes. It's helpful to have you guys help build these other guys, but did you ever both kind of, Feel like you want a bit more of a push with some victories on TV, you know? Uh, how are your experiences with Rick? Well, well, Carl, uh, Kelly. I mean, I come from, like I said, a amateur background, and like I said, I'm in the Hall of Fame of high school here. I'm in the Hall of Fame of the local college uh, uh, regionals here, Hall of Fame, and I wasn't a loser, you know. Out of my whole amateur out of my whole amateur career junior high school high school and college i've only been pinned one time one time i've only been pinned and for yeah. me to go to a professional wrestling situation knowing that it's uh all set up it's all business i really 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 humbled myself to the maximum to do what i did because legitimately 90% of them guys would have had no shot with me wrestling, wrestling. Yeah. And I just looked at it as it was a business, me looking to, you know, make a living. And, you know, I think again, a big part of it had to do with when I jumped in the ring, gave them a lot of uh, a sour taste in their mouth. In fact, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another reason why I say that if you want me to, if not, I'll just move on. But, um, <laughs> Like I said, when I when I met Randy Savage in, in Japan, I um, talked to him. He was all oh, nice guy, nice guy. He was putting me over, oh, Roblox, you're a good worker, man. I said, yeah, Randy, I thank you very much, brother, but I don't think Vince is ever going to let me come work for him because I jumped in the ring. Then he tells me, well, Roadblock, you know, my father, my brother, and I, we also had a promotion that was wrestling against WWE. We were in a promotion that was taking money away from him. And he, you know, my father and my brother and I were all good with Vince McMahon. He'll forgive and forget if he knows he can make some money with you. I said, oh, okay, thanks, Randy. I appreciate that. So I'm saying to myself, well, I got Randy in my back pocket to look out for me. When I do, you know, get to that point. So I came back home from, you know, my contract with WCW and it just happened to be 
the same time, same month that WCW was coming to Rochester, New York for a live TV taping. So when they do the live TV taping, everybody's there. Vince McMahon, um, you know, everybody's there. Everybody's there. And um, what happened, Pat Patterson. I mean, that's his right-hand man. I don't know if you know that. That was his right-hand man. But anyways, I come home and I, I go to the show and I'm meeting all these guys that I worked with and wrestled with and met when I was in Japan. <clears throat> and uh, I see Randy Savage. And he sounded all excited for me. Roadblock, oh my gosh, you're home. I said, yeah. He goes, come on, come on, brother. Let me go introduce you to Vince. Now I'm thinking, well, shit, he's going to look out for me. You know what I mean? Acting like this. So I go to Vince's office or his room, yeah, his office. And Randy knocks on the door. Vince opens up the door. He looks at me and Mickey, like Pat Patterson's room is right next to him. And he comes out like, you know, they're like clockwork, Pat and Vince, you know, they're like looking at each other and they look at Randy and me and uh, Randy says, Hey, Vince. Now, rather than, now, rather than Randy Savage say, Hey, Vince, this is roadblock. He was in Japan for six months training. He's a good worker. Give him a shot of dark match. You'd have thought he would have said something like that, right? To put me over. First thing he says, Vince, you know who this is? Vince looks at Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson looks at Vince. And they both look at me and they say, no, who is he? Randy Savage says, this is the guy that jumped in the ring here on Hulk Hogan in the one-man game. Nice. So Vince and Pat look at each other and they said, oh, okay. And they turn around and they go back in their, their rooms and... I look at, you know, Randy Savage and I'm saying, wow, dude, really? And he walked away. You know what I mean? And I didn't talk to Randy no more after that. He acted like, you know, he was, you know, better than me or something at that point now. Because he already, you know, stuck the, the, the dagger in me. Yeah, that's so strange. So what happened was when I went to WCW, he tried to stick me again. I was, in the, I was in the locker room. Hulk Hogan's there. First time, you know, meeting Hogan after, you know, I met him at the gym. Randy Savage walks in and he sees me and Hogan talking, introducing each other. And he says, Hogan, you know who he is, right? And Hogan says, yeah, I know who he is. Why? He says, he's the one that jumped in the ring on you. And Hogan said, Randy, Randy, enough's enough. Stop. Stop. That was years ago. Stop. So Randy, you know, he he really didn't help me. He, he stuck a fork in me, if you know what I mean. And um, he buried me. And then years later, I got a dark match with the WWF, as you mentioned. And um, Chief, Chief uh, Strongbow was yep. the... He was one of the agents and he loved my match. And somebody said to me, Chief Strongbow never, ever does this with people. Brings you to events to show him that, you know, hey, this is a good worker here, you know, good talent. Maybe, you know, Chief Strongbow brought me right to Vince's office again. Uh, Pat Patterson's office is next. They come out of the rooms together like clockwork. I don't know how they do that, but <laughs> and they're looking at each other and Chief Strongbow goes, hey, did you see this kid's match? And Vince says, yeah. And uh, Chief Strongbow says, what do you think about it? And Vince says, yeah. 
He's the one that jumped in on the ring on me. See what I mean? So I, I think that really had a long lasting effect on my, you know, wrestling career. And, I understand. you know, it is yeah. what it is, but, you know, I, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm, I'm good. I'm happy to hear, sir. Um, thank you for sharing that awesome stuff. We're getting to the tail end here now of the interview. I, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, your finishing maneuver, the dead end, where you would, uh, you'd be on the ring apron and you kind of flip yourself over backwards, over the top rope onto your opponent. Um, where did you come up with this idea for a finish? I wanted to come up with something different than anybody else, you know what I mean? Because I just, you know, wanted to, to, to come up with something and I couldn't think of anything. And I said, you know, and I sat on this outside of the, the ring one day and I'm looking at where the height of the ropes were and I'm saying, well, maybe I could do a backflip. And it just, you know, and then just figured out one thing after another. And that's how I did. I never really mastered it because, you know, I, I just never did it a lot until the one day I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I did it. You know what I mean? It's not like I had somebody, I, Hey, will you come to the ring with me and, you know, lay here and let me practice my finish. It wasn't like that. I had to do the, you know, right from the first one on. So there were times where I did it perfected. And there were times where I, was a little to the right or a little to the left the times that I did, you know, do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I just wanted <laughs> no, I to come didn't... up with something a little different, you know what I mean? Absolutely, and it's something that I remember, and, uh, you know, it stood out. And, uh, yes, yeah, sometimes you landed right in the middle, and then sometimes you'd be like, oh, dear, he's going to – He's going to squish Lash Lurie there. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the, the most important thing is when you're in that ring, man, is you got to protect your your the, the, the man you're working with. You know what I mean? I mean, as far as, you know, the, the, the business aspect of it. You know what I mean? Because this is a job. It's entertainment. And, uh, you know, he's got a family. He's got a feed. And I got a family. I got a feed. We all got to go home safe, you know. So the most yeah. important thing, you know, you want to, you want you don't want to hurt nobody, of you know. Course. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been times now where I've been in the ring where somebody's wanted to try and shoot on me, and then I have to get them straight and say, "Well, dude, if this is the route you want to go, we could go this route. But if you want to end it, you know, like we're supposed to, we could do that too. And you know, like I was in the ring. God bless this guy, Jim Nightheart. I was working with Jim Nyhart one night and he got in the ring. He was scared for some odd reason. He thought I was, you know, gonna be rough on him or something. And he said, brother, please, brother, please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. I said, brother, I'm not going to hurt you, but I mean, you got to have to give me some of the spots here because you're just taking over completely. You know, I said, you know, it's supposed to be a 50, 50 match. It's not a squash match or anything like that because we were told, you know, put something on out here and, you know, it ain't going to be a two minute thing. And, you know, he wanted to take over completely and shine. And I said, yo, let's work together here and, you know, we can work it out. But I mean, if you're going to be like that, then I got to get what I got to get. And he said, no brother, let's work it out. And then, you know, I can't remember exactly how the match went or so, but you know, it's been a couple of times, but it's, it's all good, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Very. Um, 
So you round off 97, you work with Public Enemy, Ice Train, Meng, Barry Darso. I watched that match earlier, actually. And, of course, DDP. Uh, and getting into 1998, um, his final year with WCW, um, facing John Nord on Worldwide on January 24th in Orlando, 5th of May, 98, against Jim Duggan in Springfield, Illinois. Frankie Lancaster, who's someone I've had on the show in Portland, Maine, on May uh, 19th, 98. Um, as, as you're moving through 1998, because that's May, and you end up working there until July when you have two matches in Beaumont, Texas, against both Jim Neidhart and Jim Powers, which is your last match and victory as well in WCW. Was there a point during the year where you thought to yourself, I'm starting to feel like, okay, it's time for me to maybe get away from here? Because um, you, you have a pretty good year there in, in, in those first seven months of 1998. I, uh, I felt like, you know, one of the big things about when you're wrestling for, you know, these major companies is your longevity. You want to, you want to try and keep it going and keep it going as long as you can. And like I said earlier to you, you know, when you got the cow or when you get the milk or, you know, when you get the cow, you don't need to buy the milk. I can't even remember how I said it. You know, <laughs> why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? They were That's getting it. the milk for free from me for that long. <clears throat> to the point to where, you know, I felt like, you know, it's time I got to do something here because, you know, there were people getting deals there that I'm saying, you know, what the hell? I mean, I'm doing my job. I'm doing whatever they want. I should be able to get a deal too, regardless of what it is. Just give me something to show me that you appreciate my loyalty to you, you know? And um, I'll tell you something. Rick or um, Kevin Sullivan came up to me one night around this time. And he said to me, he said, Hey, roadblock. He says, um, I heard that WCW got, a, or WWE got a hold of you. They're interested in you going working for them. And here's where I screwed up. I said, no, no, not really. No, they didn't. I should have said, yeah, they're talking to me and they want to possibly bring me in rather than, well, I think uh, you've muted yourself there by accident. <laughs> Let's there try and, you know, work something with this guy here. You know what I mean? But it is what it is, man. You know what I mean? Uh, like I said. You know, it is what it is, man. It was what it was. And I'm blessed. Yeah, bro, absolutely. And uh, you, you, you kind of uh, earlier at, at talked about how you ended up uh, leaving WCW and you, you'd spoke to JJ and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, you just, you knew it was time to, you know, nearing 40 years old. One question I have is, you know, uh, once you, I mean, there is another match that I thought was interesting in my research. And please tell me if this is true. 18th of December, 98, you defeat the Iron Sheik in Hamburg, New York. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Now that should that must have been a, a an honor for you to work with him. Oh my God, that was him. I tell you who, him and uh, King Kong Bundy. Oh, them two right. were like, them two were like, um, unbelievable matches. I'll never forget, and I cannot believe they both put me over. 
I could not believe that. They said, brother, listen to me. We've been there. We've done it all. <clears throat> you know, let's give you this. I said, no, no, you're the legend, man. You guys are the legend. And he said, no, we, I won't even step out in that ring if that's not going to happen. And uh, we went out there and he, he let me put him over, man. I tell you, it was unbelievable, man. It was a blessing, man. And I'll tell you something, that Iron Sheik, I don't know if you ever seen him with them, their, the, the, the clubs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Brother, I tried that. I tried that. No freaking way, man. There's no way. How he does that and did that, I'm just blown away, brother, because he's not no spring chicken, and to have his arms straight out like that and to bring him up and around, I, I, I don't know how he did it, man. But <laughs> he was definitely a highlight, one of the highlights in my career of being able to wrestle Iron Cheek. And, and like I said, King Kong Bundy, another one, because they were, you know, they were a couple of legends, you know? Excellent, bro. Yeah, no, I just thought it was important to bring that up because I was like, wow, the Iron Sheik in 1998 as well, that's like, it's such an honor to work with such a, a legend. Oh, my God, like unbelievable honor. I'll tell, tell you who I loved working with also, too. And, and uh, I feel honored. And I had some good matches with. <clears throat> was with uh, Jim, uh, yeah, Jim Hacksaw. Hacksaw uh, Jim, Jim Duggan. Super, super cool dude, man. Super cool dude. I mean, he's the best, man. If you look at, if you go watch the match that we had, which was on the uh, Thursday Thunder, which was my only match on Thursday Thunder with him. Yeah. That was probably one of my best matches that I had with WCW. One of them, one of my best matches. And Jim let me call that whole match. Jim really? didn't take charge or nothing. He said, Block, I want you to call this match. I want you to set it up and let me, you know. And I said, okay, brother. I mean, it wasn't a real long match, but it was a good match. And, you know, it could have been better, but it could have been a whole lot worse. And I I, I, I loved working with Jim, man. That was that was a good, good shit there, man. That's cool, bro. Uh, and if anyone out there wants to check out that match, it's on July 16th edition of Thunder in Oakland, California. Um, yeah. So uh, there was one thing that I thought might be interesting to ask you about before we sail off into the sunset here uh, with this great interview here, Roadblock. But um, uh, you speak of things that you things that make you feel great in in your time in wrestling is that adrenaline rush. How does one ad, uh, adjust to life? Once you've left the business, how do you adjust to never feeling that adrenaline rush anymore? Do you, do you go to a karaoke bar and maybe you get a little adrenaline rush when your name's called? How do you, this is something that's a big part of you and now you no longer get to feel that feeling. So what do you do to replace that? Brother, waking up every day, getting out of bed, being blessed that I can go to work and come home and be safe and just have another fresh breath, breath, fresh air, man. Waking up every day. Cause you know, after I got out of wrestling back in, uh, wow. Two, or 1999, 98, 99, I bought a house, started full time with the city and I ended up having heart failure. It just, I don't know how it happened. It just happened, but I had heart failure. This was like back in 2000, two weeks after I buy my house. And, uh, you know, that was a, a real wake up call. Let me realize that, you know, 
I'm here for a reason. The Lord's blessing me, man. And to be able to wake up every morning and get out of bed and have another fresh breath of fresh air and to, to just keep going, man. That's an adrenaline rush alone. You know what I mean? For me now, you know, I mean, um, doing this DDP, I get a, I get a nice rush doing this too, man, because it just makes me feel good all over, you know, inside and out, you know, and, um, I'm, I'm blessed, man. I, I got two grandchildren. I got two boys and, you know, to be able to watch them grow up, that's another rush, man. It's just the blessings is the bottom line is where I get my adrenaline now is from the blessings from Lord up above, man, just every day. Uh, I love to hear that. I love to hear that. You want to talk about an, an adrenaline rush when I, I had tried searching high and low, how am I going to be able to find a way to contact roadblock? I searched your name on Facebook. I found the name. I'm like, this has to be him. I only had a little thumbnail of your picture. So it was I couldn't quite see if it was you or not. I got a response saying, hello, young man, how can I help you? And that's an adrenaline rush for me. It's like, all right, here we go. And only a few weeks later, we locked in a date. We've done this interview. It, it's just, it means so much to me to be able to have this conversation with you. So I just wanted to say that right here, um, that, you know, that's my blessing is, is and my adrenaline rush is to be able to connect. And I got to connect with you here tonight. I got I got I got it. What'd you say? I'm sorry. What's the last thing you said? I got to connect with you here tonight. Brother, and it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure of mine to be here and, and talk with you, man. And, you know, you, you helped me. This is an adrenaline rush for me too today, besides waking up and getting up. You know, you have little spurts. i tell you something else, man. I've been, I haven't wrestled in about 20 years and another little adrenaline rush that I get as far as from the business still. You know, there's different rushes, you know what I mean? Different adrenaline rushes you get. And uh, adrenaline rushes that I still get from the businesses, I still get um, fan mail sent to me 20 years later, wanting me to sign the pictures and send them to them. I mean, with you, brother, I, um, <clears throat> I'm not one that normally has a messenger on Facebook. And somebody sent me a message. I can't remember exactly who it was. Um, and I went on messenger and I explained to him, I don't really do the messenger. And when I did do that, I seen that you sent me this here message, but it was last year or something during COVID or something. Cause it was a while. And I said, wow, brother wants to do an interview with me. And it was just last year or so. And I said, you know, that gave me a, a, a an adrenaline rush to read you wanting to do an interview with me. And I said, I sent out a little message to you. It was a while later. And I said, like you, you know, hopefully you'll get back and you got back and there we are, man. There we are. It's, it's a blessing, it's, man. It's my pleasure. It I'm glad. I'm glad my friend. Uh, and, and I wanted to, to, to have the opportunity now to let all your fans out there that have the opportunity to see this interview, let them know what you're up to these days and, and, uh, you know, where can they find you if they would like to, you know, send you a picture or, or send you something? Okay. I, I, I caught half of that. Uh, my Miracle Ear batteries are going low. <laughs> I'm only kidding. So what you, can you repeat that one more time to me? Uh, just, just to let, let the fans of, of Roadblock out there know, what, what are you up to these days? 
I'm up to these days, brother, I turn 61 next month. I'm blessed. I've been working for the city of Rochester for the last 25 years. And um, next year, I retire, go on to the next chapter in my life and enjoy that. And um, I'm, I'm doing this DDPY to help me because I torn both medium meniscus, you know, and I've had back issues. And brother, let me tell you something. Since I've been doing this here workout, it's taken away all my pain, man, all my pain. And I thank God and I thank DDP. And uh, I'm, I'm so blessed, man. I just can't emphasize that enough. I probably said it a lot, you know, and I emphasize it a whole lot more that I'm so blessed to, to be able to wake up each and every day and live my life and, and, you know, get to retirement next year and enjoy, man, and be able to tell all my fans, thank you very much for all the support. And you, brother, I thank you so much, man. You're a blessing, man. You are. You're a blessing. I thank you because without guys like you, man, the business wouldn't be like it is. Believe me, the business would not be nowhere near like it is and people wouldn't uh, enjoy it as much. So you're, you're a blessing too, brother. Believe me. And I thank, thank you. Thank you. I really yes, appreciate man. that, bro. I do too, um, man. <laughs> uh, that's really cool of you to say. And um, it, it, we're right at the tail end here, Roadblock. It's the final segment of the show. I told you about it earlier. Five-second frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question, even if you don't make it to five seconds. It's okay. You won't get in trouble. But quick-fire questions, quick-fire answers. Roadblock, who, for the first one, who is your favorite wrestler? I don't know. No one as a kid that you first uh, really whacked out of the gate? Say that one more time. Uh, maybe when you were a kid, a, a particular performer that you liked most? Oh, you've gone. You've muted. Hang on. Sorry. Still says you've muted. Keep there we go. Out. Okay, there we go. Chief I keep getting out. phone calls. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. <laughs> I can't hear you. You can hear me? Can you hear me? I can't hear you. No, nothing? Now I got you. My, I keep getting me. phone calls and it's disrupting. But anyways, um, I'd have to say when I was a little kid, it probably was Cheap White, cheap white Out because he taped his thumb and they went like that. But, <laughs> you know, nowadays, man, I, 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 I really don't know, man. I really don't know. I mean, there's some there's some professional professionals, good workers, man. And I'm not talking about the era when I wrestled. I'm talking about, you know, when I was growing up during the DDP or not DDP, but during the uh, um, what do you call it? DBIC and uh, you know um, what's his name? The Heart Foundation. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's when you know technicians were, you know, now I think wrestling is more, you know, commercialized in my opinion. You know what I mean? I don't think it is, as, you know, they got all these high risk maneuvers and stuff like that, but I don't want to get off of your five second <laughs> thing there. I'm sorry, brother. That's okay, bro. Uh, if you had to pick your favorite opponent that you had over the years, who would you pick? Probably Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. 
Excellent, excellent. Uh, and favorite match? Is, is there one match you look back on that you would say is your favorite? Probably the honor of wrestling the Iron Sheik. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, getting away from wrestling now, finally. What's your favorite book? My favorite book? I really am not an avid reader. Sorry about that. That's okay. Maybe the Bible? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the Bible? I, I get something on my phone every day from the Bible. So I read scripts from the Bible every day and, um, and uh, inspirations from the Bible every day. But I, <clears throat> I don't... I don't read the Bible every day, which I did at one time. And then I put it down. That's another whole long story. But anyways, I don't, you know, I'm not an avid reader of books. That's okay. Uh, favorite. I'll tell you one thing. There was yes. one book that I, there was two books that I read from cover to cover. One book was maybe you've heard of it. It was called Mice and Men. Yeah. Second book I read from cover to cover was called the, um, the Riverside Killer. And what that was about was a guy, Arthur Shawcross here in Rochester, New York, who was a serial killer. Oh. And they wrote a book about him. And I, his name is Arthur Shawcross. I'm not sure if that's the exact name of the book, but the guy's name was Arthur Shawcross. He was a serial killer here. And I wanted to read that whole book because, it, you know, it, it's like, one of the reasons I watch wrestling nowadays, man, is because it just brings back old memories, you know, mm. when I wrestle. Like, uh, you, do you guys get the, 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 the Dark Side of the Ring? Yes. The TV show? I watch that, brother, and it's like, wow, man, that just brings back so many memories. <laughs> and by reading, by, I wanted to read that book because it's here in Rochester, New York, where all these killings happened, and it was right around the corner from where I lived. You know what I mean? Where all these hookers were getting right, picked up. Of course. Right yeah. down the street from where I lived. And as I was reading the book, it was familiarizing me and I could picture all these different places. So that was, you know, that was the book why I read that book. Other than that, I'm not really an avid reader. <laughs> Fair enough, bro. Um, and I've written that down now because that sounds interesting. I might check that out. Um, favorite TV show? Ooh, man. There was a couple. Can I say a couple? Sure. Shameless? Shameless. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah. Shameless. And I have to say, uh, I liked um, The Walking Dead, but that's getting a little stale now. And um, there was the other one. I can't even remember now. It's been so long. But Shameless is, I like Shameless. That was a good one. Did you ever watch that's it? No, I've I seen a couple of episodes, though. I should get back into it. Yeah, it's good. I like I'm, I'm really, I'm really into The Walking Dead, though. So I like that answer. Oh, Game of Thrones! Game of Thrones. Oh, another fantastic one. Um, cool, bro. Uh, next one, favorite film. Favorite movie? Yeah. I'm gonna have to say probably, possibly, The Gladiator, and maybe the series of the The Godfather. Oh, brilliant! Excellent choice. And Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. We've had that answer a few times on the show. <laughs> uh, getting away from films now, a favorite musical artist or band? Uh, brother, I really don't have a favorite. If I was to say I had a favorite, it might I might say Queen, oh. or I might say say The Whispers. 
See, I, 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 I was brought up in a, in a, how can I say it? I was brought up in a predominantly black neighborhood and I got into a lot of R&B and soul music. And I loved, you know, all kinds of music, you know, but I, I really got into a lot of R&B and the, the whispers, unbelievable. And I'm going to say Queen is another unbelievable. Uh, the other one is, oh man, um, what the heck is it? Oh man. Oh, I can't think of the other one. I'll, I'll think of it as we're going on. <laughs> no worries, bro. Uh, getting away from the arts now, there's only five more. Uh, favorite food? I'm going to have to say pizza. Yeah, that's probably the number one answer in the show. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Oh, man. Maybe Wendy's, I guess. I mean, because, okay. you know, possibly yeah, Wendy's. Good, that's cool. Um, favorite alcoholic beverage? I'm going to say Patron with a nice Corona on the side. Very, very nice. That's very classy. Uh, I see you drinking wine. I'm drinking red wine, yeah. yeah. I like some wine, too. I like a little wine here and there. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, you know, later on at night, it keeps me warm. <laughs> yeah, and it relaxes you. That's it. Um, the second last one, Roadblock. Favorite female body part? You're going to look at a good-looking woman. You know, where, where do the eyes go first? I'm going to have to say the face. I love a pretty face. But taking away the pretty face, i got to have a nice fucking Easter for Easter. You know, a nice <laughs> ass. <laughs> See, I, when I was little, though, listen to me. When I was a little kid, I thought tits were the were the most. Ooh, good lord, that'd be the first thing I look at. But then, as I got older, they're overrated. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think a nice backside and a beautiful face uh, is between the you know them. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a booty guy. I, I like a good ass. So, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it's at for me <laughs> that's good I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm able to hear and learn a little bit about you too <laughs> it's the first time anybody's ever actually asked me for my answer for something so that's I appreciate who's your favorite wrestler ever oh boy probably um, probably Scott Hall um, Scott Hall or Kevin Nash um, they, they, I was like kind of a bit of a nerdy kind of guy in school uh, and then I discovered them in the NWO and I started dressing in leather jackets and bandanas and I made me kind of, they, they kind of made me cool because I mimicked them. So yeah, that's who I looked up to. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Scott was a cool, Scott was a cool dude. Scott was cool. Kevin Nash was more, you know, into himself more so than anything, but he was all right too. That's cool, bro. Uh, <laughs> and the What's last your favorite one food? here. What's oh, your favorite food? food? Okay, um, probably steak. Steak, okay. Any yeah, certain kind, ribeye or porterhouse? Um, probably a T-bone steak. Nice, yeah, nice. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's tender too. It okay, is. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, and the, the last one of Five Second Frenzy is your favorite curse word. You've, you've avoided swearing. 
this whole interview, but now's your chance to get one out. What's your favourite curse word? Probably, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be the number one answer we get on the show too. Um, but this has been awesome, Roadblock. I have had so much fun talking to you here tonight, today for you. Uh, and I've already said some some kind things to you so far, but there's there's another thing I really wanted to say. And I live in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. And the fact that you can get fandom from somebody so far away from where you are from, uh, I think you, I just wanted to say that you should be so proud of what you've accomplished in the business and the fact that you could have somebody this far away be a fan of your work that just makes, you know, I, I feel it makes everything that you put yourself through, all the physicality, cutting your thumb on the roadblock itself, all of that stuff, I think it makes it all worth it in the end because you've got a fan of me all this way on the other side of the planet, my friend. And I can say thank you, and I'm blessed to have a fan like you on the other side of the world. And I tell you what, I've always wanted to go to Australia. I always wanted to, that, that was like, you know, I don't want to say bucket list because bucket list, you know, so many people say, oh, I got on my bucket list. Bucket list means things that you want to do before you die. I don't even want to think about dying. I want to think about living. You know what I mean? Because when that time comes, it comes, you know, but I, I would love to have been able to go to uh, Australia or Europe. You know what I mean? And uh, who knows? Like I said, next year I retire. Lord willing, maybe uh, I might be able to come that way. And if you do, I will cook you up a great Aussie barbecue and I'll make sure that I've got some Patron and some Coronas here for you as well. Sounds like a deal, brother. I thank you so much. You were blessed today, man. You were a blessing. You, too, you made my, my day. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to me. <coughs> you got it, brother. And thank you everyone out there for watching my interview here with the one and only Roadblock here on the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Peace, brother. Take care.